0: Welcome to episode 198 of Responding Fire, the kick-ass irreverent gaming podcast from Affable Idiots. I am Holden Pardo and I am here with today, Chad, Michael, Got Corn, and I don't care, Ennis. <laughs> and we've got the dreamiest fan base of all time joining us from all over the world right now, including Porkchop 118 YT, otherwise known as Brent. Who's listening to us b on rent. Twitch at the moment. Uh, sound, b rent, Sorry, b Audio rent guy. Is He's his uh, sound engineer. B-Rent sound engineer. <laughs> you too can listen to us on Twitch Sunday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. YouTube and podcast services Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. And what's coming up soon, Chad? What's coming up soon, Holden? Episode Episode 200, it's coming up. We'll be doing oh, for you. episode 200 our predictions. <laughs> our <laughs> predictions for the next decade of gaming, and we want to hear from you as well. So send us your predictions for what you think will happen before 2030. But is there a challenger approaching? Because we have something special <sighs> wee, wee, for episode 200 wee, 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 wee. beyond the decade predictions, but we're not telling you yet. You're just going to have to find out on episode 200 what that could be. Boom. That's Stay in tuned. two weeks, bitch. Upcoming on the show. It's two weeks upcoming. We have Sony and Nintendo financial inf- information because there's not going to be enough financial information in this podcast. <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> State spoilers. Stadia closing studios. New Mass Effect Legendary trailer and much more. But before we get to all of that, before we get to what we've been playing, this whole thing happened with GameStop stock, Wall Street bets, and basically the whole world. <laughs> so we're gonna be. Breaking down essentially what happened with the GameStop Wall Street bets situation, I have written out here a full timeline going from the background of kind of what things were like before uh, the short squeeze happened. We're going to be talking about uh, the short squeeze itself on a almost daily basis of like what happened per day, and then kind of the aftermath and some of the things that have happened as a result um, and some things that we kind of don't know yet um, still. Um, so this is going to be This is going to take a little while. There's actually a Google Doc that I'll be putting in the show notes for this episode. So if you want to follow along and check the sources on everything we're talking about, or just so you can visualize it and see it for yourself, um, we we, we will have it there for you. So um, buckle up. And just so
1: you know, I will be
0: playing the role. Holden's done a ton of research.
1: I would say two weeks ago, Holden had no idea about stocks. And now, Holden has every idea about stocks. (laughs) I did not do any research. And so, I will be playing the part of the everyman. And so, if Holden comes across a term like, uh, I don't know, anything in this list, I will be like, wait a minute, Holden. What does that mean to all of the other regular people listening? And that will be me acting, of course, because I'm brilliant. And you will then, of course, define whatever that term is. So, I will keep Holden humble and say, Holden. Not everyone knows everything you know. So worry not, everyone.
0: <laughs> so let's start off with the background. There's this guy named Keith Gills, who's also known as Roaring Kitty on YouTube, as well, well. as Deep Fucking Value on Reddit. Great Whoa. name, by the way. You're
1: the first journalist I've ever heard say that out loud. Most people on CNN yeah, are saying like Deep value. V.
0: <laughs> Yeah, or DFV. Deep fucking value, because we tell the whole story here. (laughs) We don't censor words. Deep fucking value started investing in GameStop back in June of 2019. He got in really early. By September 2019, he had invested $53,000 overall, and his return was up to $113,000. Well, his gain was $113,000. So he went from $53,000 to $113,000. In just a few months. So we already made a good bet there, but he got in really, really and this early. this was like 18 months ago. At the same ago. time... Yeah, this is 18 months ago. Back when people thought he was crazy for thinking the stock was yeah, going to go up. back when we were
1: all like, new consoles aren't going to save GameStop, they're going to suffer, blah, 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 <laughs> blah. Holden, can I, can I ask you one yeah. real quick thing before we get two balls deep in this? Um, yeah. While we're still one ball deep, can you, can you give us a, an upfront, just a pitch? You explained this to me about a half hour ago, and it was a good explanation. Why? Why are we having this timeline oh, why now we're doing from this? start to finish? Why are we setting people up for this?
0: Yeah. I've, so as I was kind of following the story of the past two weeks, I just noticed that there was a lot of misinformation about what was happening here. And I just wanted to offer like a timeline of things that I had sources for that I felt like I could substantiate um, and just kind of show what r- kind of really happened in the past few weeks. So, I mean, technically the past few years, if you want to go back to when he started investing in 2019. Um, I just wanted to offer like a complete timeline and the Google Doc is also so people can kind of go back and and reference that and also comment on it as well. So if I got something very wrong um, or there's just something I missed completely, um, you can comment on that and and offer that additional um, perspective um, so it's really just to kind of have a central place for the full timeline of, of what happened and i know i'm missing things in this by the way too like there's some things where i'm like i know this is missing but like i don't need to post that deep fucking value posted every single day what his returns were on gamestop i don't like you don't need to do that there's things i'm missing i know that um but yes thank you for reminding me to include that so Going back in deep fucking value, invested fifty three thousand dollars, and it increased to one hundred thirteen thousand dollars between June twenty nineteen and September twenty nineteen. At the same time, Michael Burry, who's the hedge fund manager who shorted the housing market back in two thousand eight, if you've seen the movie The Big Short, that's the guy that they're talking about. The movie. Um, he announced into. 2019 september 2019 that he had acquired a 3.3 percent stake in gamestop and he actually called out that a short squeeze was possible he noted that 60 percent of gamestop stock had been shorted when he anticipated um would which he anticipated would result in a massive short squeeze if gamestop started to buy up their own shares to increase demand he was right about the short squeeze it didn't play out quite that way though Uh, Yeah, Chad Michael Holden.
1: I'm sorry, Chad Michael Everyman here. Uh, What is what does it mean (laughs) to short a stock? And what does it mean to have a short squeeze?
0: Yeah, so a short is basically you can buy a stock and you make money when the stock goes up. The idea of a short is you're going to make money when the stock goes down. And how that's possible is you go to your broker and you say, hey, I want to short this stock. So they give you a loan of that stock. Let's say it's a $10 loan for that stock. That's the value of the stock is $10. And then once you get that loan for the stock, you just sell it off immediately. So now you have the $10. And you, once the value goes down, you buy the stock back at $5. And then you repay your broker the loan stock of $5 back and you keep the $5 difference. So, you are so that's how you're making money when the stock, stock goes down. You are not in debt cash value.
1: Exactly. So if you can return the stock at a lower price, then you get to keep the profit. Interesting.
0: Okay. What is a short squeeze? A short squeeze is when, in this case, there's so many shorts out there, like so many people or institutions, hedge funds, mutual funds, whatever, are shorting a stock that there might hit a point where there's a spark in demand, where there are people who are buying up that stock and... It basically drives the price up because people are trying to take care of their shorts as quickly as possible before they lose money. But the demand for it makes it so that the price just goes up. It's a basic supply demand. When there's more people who want to buy that stock, but there's not enough stock to buy because there's too many shorts and too many loans that need to be paid out, it just sparks the demand up. Okay, got it. I have one last question. This is a real life question that yeah. I don't know the
1: answer to that I've always wondered. Um, what does <laughs> it mean for a company to buy their own stock back? I don't understand how that works.
0: Um, I don't think I know like how that works either. I think it would mean that they're just going to the stock market and just buying shares back from other people, but I don't know why they would do that. I think it's that answer. Like, I don't know why what the incentive would be okay. for that. I guess in this context, what Michael Burry is saying is, is that that would cause an increase in demand, which means that GameStop would net money by... Having their own stock they just bought back up, shoot up in value, and they can use that money to reinvest in the company. I'm assuming that just based on what I've researched in this past two weeks. So I wouldn't like, I'm not a financial advisor.
1: (laughs) Yes, let's caution all of this saying we are not financial advisors. We are not giving you financial advice. We are merely reporting the news.
0: All right, Holden, I think that's good. Let's continue. (laughs) So in July 2020, um, Keith deep Fucking Value posts his first video on YouTube explaining his position on GameStop and basically why he thinks it's going to do well. And to be honest, I think the reasons he gave gives me more confidence that they might not be they might be around longer than we think. Um, so he says that um, he thinks they have plenty of profitable years left. They have a strong cash to debt ratio. Ninety percent of their stores are cash or um, have a ca- blah have a positive cash flow. And the transition to digital, which is kind of, I think, what the centerpiece of the GameStop conversation is about, is going to take longer than anticipated because there's still a heavy amount of demand for physical games. We
1: saw that from the stock Uh, of the the PS5. You
0: know, like 1% of, not mm -hmm. 1%, a very
1: small percent of their consoles were
0: digital only. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also expected that revenues will rise as a result of the new consoles coming out, which did end up happening. And then he also had a lot of confidence in the new board of directors, as well as the new management teams that had been brought on. Um, And in that video, he also notes that the short interest at that point in July 2020 was already over 100%. What does that mean? Which I think is important to note. So basically, means that there are so many people who are loaning, uh, taking loans to short stocks that there are technically, if you include loans, more stocks out there than actually exist. Kind of like how you could like there's this. I think I can't remember the statistic, but like uh, Americans will spend 120 percent of their income. It's because they're using credit cards. You don't have that money, but it counts as money because you spent it. Got it. If that makes sense. Okay. So it's totally allowed for a st- uh, stock to be shorted over 100%. It's not, like, against the rule. It's not illegal, and it doesn't mean anything nefarious is happening, but it does put the companies in a really nefarious situation to be totally fucked, kind of like what happened. Um, an analogy, too, for, I just wanted to point out for what uh, Death Fucking Value pointed out in the video um, is that he basically likened GameStop to a cigar roach, meaning that it's almost out, like, but it it's it still has some puffs in it you can still get something out of it people who don't smoke don't know what a roach is (laughs) Um, yeah i was like you mean that icelandic band Sigoros? is that what you're trying to say (laughs) a roach is when you're basically you it's been dwindled down the cigarette or cigar or other herbal remedies you might be It is most commonly referred to in cigars and cigarettes
1: i'm sure (laughs)
0: <laughs> he made the he specifically said roach in the video yeah. so um so i'm using his words there um but when you basically get it down to a point where like you don't have much left to smoke on but don't throw it out yet because you can still get some more out of it but it's like getting down to the to the bottom so like on a cigarette like when it's close to the filter gotcha okay anyway i just like that analogy that he made i thought it was a good analogy for i had to think about GameStop. so between then july 2020 when um, defucking value made his case and the events of the last few weeks that we've saw the belief of a potential short squeeze started to grow within the reddit community are our, our wall street bets it's believed that this post from reddit user jeff amazon started the um, short interest uh, the short squeeze interest more than five months ago which was around september at that point, Jeff Amazon notes that there is a short interest of 112% with a days-to-cover ratio of 16 days. Whoa, 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 whoa. So what does that
1: mean, days-to-cover ratio?
0: Yeah, so days-to-cover, it sounds like it's a deadline, meaning you have 16 days to do something. But it's actually a ratio of how many shorts exist in terms of number of shorted stocks versus how many stocks are traded in a day with that given company. Meaning that it's just an estimation of how long it will take to cover all of those short of um, the shorted stocks. So
1: if so you could have a so like today, if, six, if if we started selling and no more stocks were loaned out, or if we sorry, if we started buying back stock and no more were loaned out, it would take us on average 16 days to gain back all of that stock. Is
0: that correct? Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting
1: that that's measured in days, but it's not what you would think about in that like like parsecs. Yeah. Like I can do the Kessel run in.
0: Twelve parsecs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> mm, got it. Okay. Yeah, it definitely is is strange for sure because it could happen in less time because you could increase the trading volume in a day if you wanted to. It's just it's yeah, it's interesting. Um, so the one hundred twelve percent short interest on GameStop and then sixteen days covered um days to cover ratio. So the buying interest at the same time had also gone up. So while there's all the short interest happening, at this point in September, the interest in buying GameStop stock had gone up with retail investors, as well as a guy named Ryan Cohen, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and a company named Citadel. Ryan Cohen is the largest individual owner of GameStop stock right now. With um, He has 12 point, uh, 12.9% um, stake in the company, just himself. Um, But we're going to come back to that later in the story. But keep this guy, Ryan Cohen, in mind. Got it. He basically just has faith in in GameStop, is what you need to know right now. Um, At the time of Jeff Amazon's post, uh, GameStop was around $8 for its stock price. And again, Jeff Amazon posted in July? No.
1: When was this? September September 2020. Okay.
0: Yeah. So Jeff Amazon said that. The stock is likely to go up to fifteen dollars on October sixteenth, and he was really close. It ended up being thirteen dollars, and then he said that as of January fifteenth, it would end up being three hundred dollars. It ended up being thirty-five on that day, so again, he was really close. Sorry, but here's thirty dollars, and it ended up being thirty-five. I think you said three hundred. Oh yes, yeah, Sorry, Did I? Oh no, no, no. We'll talk about hundreds right now. <laughs> he also predicted that Jeff Amazon he also predicted that GameStop was going to go up to $400 or more when the short squeeze eventually happened. He was pretty much spot on. I mean, it was, it got close to 500 at points, but I think that's fair to say that he had a really fucking good prediction on this. Um, he got the timeline time completely correct, so like good for him. Um, Roaring Kitty, on the other hand, um, he had his own Theories on this. Roaring Kitty's deep fucking value. He had his own theories on the short squeeze. He was thinking it might go up to about fifty dollars or more. He didn't expect it to go to the price where it ended up going. Now this is important. In Roaring Kitty's final stream on January twenty-second, just before the big short, um, the big short squeeze really blew up. He made it clear that he can't predict when a short squeeze is going to happen, nor does he know how a short squeeze can occur. And the reason I want to include that is I feel like he's been at the forefront of this as like the mastermind behind the Wall Street bets community. And he is absolutely a mastermind in that he called the stock out as a is a as a basically a, a good investment well before anyone was thinking about it being a good investment and would and we would have mocked the hell out of him if we found yep. out that he invested fifty thousand dollars back in July twenty nineteen. Um so yeah so I just wanted to make that clear. Like he is definitely an important figure in this. Um he just kind of got in early and that's where his, his importance is. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so that ends the back okay, let's get to the actual Can you give s- yeah, like get a nice the- wrapped up summary of the background so far. Yeah basically um, it started off in July 2019 with just small interest growing in GameStop as a stock. And then over time, as the short interest started to increase in 2020 to where it got over uh, 100%, some people started to call out that the buying interest and the short interest were going to come to a head. And there was interest within the Wall Street Bets community. This is going to happen. And it ended up leading to the events that happened. That at this point everyone knows about, and we're about to talk about right now. Let's go. So, January eleventh, the game uh, GameStop announces they are bringing on three new board members, including Ryan. That's the ten percent or the twelve percent of the company guy. He's the twelve percent of the company guy, so he's now a board member of the company because he's clearly interested in it, and he essentially used to own this company called Chewy, not the Chewy Bars. It was some sort of like online, um, like a uh, dog toy company, some right? sort of like online business. Oh, just kidding. Yeah. Dog toy company. Yeah. or Something like that. And then Petco bought them. But basically he has this idea for e-commerce with GameStop that he wants to push. And because he got brought on, th- that started creating a lot of interest in buying GameStop stock because now there's a little bit more confidence that they might be heading in a better direction with someone like him, um, on the board, kind of helping out decisions. So the stock immediately rose by almost 100% by the end of that week. Then on Friday, January 22nd, GameStop closed at $65, which meant it ri- it rose from 39 earlier in the week. This is kind of when the short squeeze was, this is when it actually starts here. So by Monday, it rose to $76. That's when Melvin Capital got into some trouble because they had been shorting GameStop a lot. And they got help from Citadel and Point72, who basically gave Melvin Capital $2.75 billion to ensure that they weren't margin-called on their short positions. What does that mean? So a margin call is that when you're shorting a stock, you own you owe money, you owe a stock to that stockbroker, right? And with the price starts going up really high... And that stockbroker can no longer cover the, the, the loan for you because it's getting too high. A stockbroker will say, hey, I'm margin calling you. You have to pay right now. So it just means you have to pay right now. So basically, to prevent this company from um, being called out on paying a lot of money they might not be able to pay off at that moment, Citadel and Point72 helped them with that. It was what, basically like a corporate bailout. Okay, I was going to say what
1: interest do Citadel and 0.72 have in seeing Melvin Capital not go under?
0: Um they might have had investments together or something like that, or I know in the case of 0.72, um the the head of Melvin Capital used to work at 0.72. It might have just been a friendly exchange. I'm not sure exactly what what happened there. By Tuesday, the 26th, Wall Street bets was seeing recognition by prominent voices and billionaires like Elon Musk, um, Shamath. Um, let me get the name right here. Shamath, um, Paula Hapatia. I think that's right. That's right to me. Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss and uh, David Portroy. He's not a you know billionaire, but he's a you know very notable person. Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss. But those the are the that two day. guys
1: from Facebook, right? I remember that from the movie. <laughs> from Facebook. <laughs>
0: <laughs> In quotes, there. Yeah, they invented it. Um, They also got huge in Bitcoin. That's how they got all their money. They got Bitcoin real early. Anyway, uh, stock price on Tuesday the 26th closed at $147. So it's skyrocketing now. But the real frenzy hit Wednesday, January 27th. So on January um, 27th, that's when Melvin Capital closed out of its short position. They lost 53% of their money, which is not including the $2.75 billion. You might see some numbers saying they lost 30%. That's when you include the $2.75 billion. But technically, they lost 53% of their money.
1: And then the other 23% um, was them being bailed out.
0: Yeah, exactly. The morning they closed out their GameStop... Um, shares the stock went from $202 to $383 between the hours of 8.30 and 9.30 in the morning. So in an hour period, the stock rose uh, 181 points.
1: So that kind of makes sense, then, though, right? Because to close out, it means they actually need to buy the shares to give them back to somebody. So it would appear in the stock market and when the interest- that a bunch of people mm-hmm. are paying billions of dollars for stock right now,
0: which is why the stock price would drive up so quickly. Exactly. 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 So, and then um, once that kind of demand hit a peak, it went down to $249 an hour later. So you kind of see these huge peaks when there's huge sudden increases in demand, and then no one's buying as much anymore because the price is too high. And this is why it was really volatile, because it would just jump up and down like that all week. So it's on Wednesday that trading of GameStop and AMC was adjusted by TD Ameritrade Schwab and and robin hood now it's important to note here that td ameritrade and schwab still allowed you to buy and sell stock but only with cash you owned not on margin margin is like the loan to either buy a stock or short a stock so rather than owning the stock you just get a loan out for it and then you can hopefully pay back that loan later on so basically saying you just can't you have to use your own money you can't be spending money you don't have on the stock and probably just because it's so volatile they don't want to risk their investors
1: Why do you, you know d- or is this relevant why was AMC suddenly part of this
0: uh, I haven't looked too much of the AMC but there is a sh- uh, short squeeze on um, on AMC as well but I haven't looked into that almost at all so I don't want to talk like too much about that
1: um, That's where
0: I made I all the money that I ended up GameStop. losing in GameStop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I took all the stuff that I got from AMC that week. I was like, woo! Put it all in GameStop and lost it all. I'm so, like, shit!
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you'll know then, like, how much did it increase with, uh, with AMC? Because you've been invested in them for a while. Uh, only a month.
1: On New Year's Eve, I was like, you know what? AMC! Oh, wow, so you a lot in month. Yeah, New Year's Eve. I was like, AMC, after the pandemic, they're going to bounce back. Their stock was at its lowest that it had been in a long time. So I was like, let me buy 150 mm-hmm. shares. And then, so that was at like two dollars and seventeen cents. And then suddenly, I was brushing my teeth one morning. I believe it was probably this Wednesday morning, the twenty seventh, that all of this happened. And I looked down, and it was trading for seventeen dollars a share. And I was like, (gasps) immediately sold all of it.
0: (laughs) That you you got in. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And then I lost it all. So back on Wednesday,
0: (laughs) it happens. That's how it works. It's the game, baby. Um, so, on Wednesday, January 27th, Discord closed Wall Street's Bets Discord server, which was really, really controversial. Discord said that they did it because of hate speech, glorifying violence, and spreading misinformation. They claim it wasn't due to financial fraud related to GameStop or other stocks. Just highly coincidental. Anecdotally, though, bets... read, like,
1: mm-hmm. I get it. Reading Wall Street Bets' subreddit, I feel disgusting.
0: Yeah. Like... They use the R word a lot. Yeah,
1: they love to <laughs> refer to themselves as the R word, yeah. like fucking R's. and uh, mm-hmm. oh my god, and, yeah. And I, it's I I always feel like I have to like go take a shower and throw up after I read that subreddit.
0: Yeah, it it is kind of funny. It's like there's so much talk like that. It just it's unanimous. You see it all the time. And it's, but all it's funny because it is a serious and then community a lot of rocket ship at the same time. Hands. Like. Yeah, a rocket ship with diamond hands. But like, it's a serious community at the same time, in the sense that they're yeah. talking about really serious stuff. Like, it's just this weird thing. Um, Wall Street bets they disputed the claim with uh, Discord. They said that um, when there's 250,000 people who get together, it's hard to limit what they say, even with bots to help block bad words. Methods of getting around them are always possible, uh, which I think is is fair. But to kind of Chad's point, to kind of what I notice as well is like it's just pretty much everywhere, all the time, always. Which I do kind of think makes it interesting that. On this day, they decided to close it down. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not talking conspiracy or anything like that. I just think like they could have picked a better time. Like, hey guys, maybe next week we'll do this because right now it'll look really bad if we do this. Um, anyway, um, this occurs though along many other attempts to try to align Wall Street bets with the alt right. There was a Financial Times article that said that there were um, alt right connections on uh, Wall Street bets, and they have since um, taken that statement back because they didn't actually have evidence for it um don't know why they decided to publish that um the wall street bets subreddit was then also forced to make the sub private now this has been talked about as if they were closed down by reddit but really what happened is there was just such a huge massive increase in traffic on the subreddit and they went f- they, they increased millions of users in the course of a few days and they the moderators just didn't have the the system set up in place to handle that kind of traffic so you just had to private it so that there weren't any new people coming in readjust and then reopen back up again which they did very quickly so that was just their own decision to do that um so that's wednesday and at the end of wednesday um, gamestop closed at 347 dollars a lot's happened in these three days can we just do a quick little recap monday tuesday wednesday yeah basically um go even more back to january 11th um Kind of genuine interest in GameStop stock because there are new board members coming on that increased the stock to the point where some hedge funds had to close out their short positions, which started to increase the the cost of GameStop significantly. So that's when the short squeeze was um, was happening. And then you're seeing a lot of very prominent investors or billionaires or just notable personalities being very supportive of Wall Street bets on on uh, Twitter and the like. Gotcha. Great. So Thursday. Um, the interest in wall street bets is getting really huge and wall street bets, official mods, Twitter account warns of imposters posing as them or representatives of them. These include the accounts, the chairman, which is at wall, St- or, or blah, blah, I was gonna say at wall street bets, but it's just at WSB chairman. Um, um, Wall Street bet, blah, I keep saying Wall Street bets when I see WSB. <laughs> I got to stop that. WSB underscore mod at WSB mod one. They were trying to um, be an imposter and pose as a representative of Wall Street bets. And then a really notable one is the former creator of Wall Street bets. Was his name is Jamie um, Rogo- Rogozinski, and he was banned from the community because he's trying to monetize it a while ago. But now he's going onto news programs, representing himself as the founder of Wall Street Bets, but never mentioning that he was banned from the community. <laughs> oh, and by the way, he uh, released a book last year that he may or may not be trying to sell. So basically, trying to profiteer off of the newfound interest of Wall Street Bets. He does call himself Wall Street Bets on Twitter, so a lot of people were retweeting. Him. Him and kind of considering him a part of the movement, but he really uh, was shunned from that community a while ago. Doesn't mean he wasn't supportive of what people were doing, but it's it's worth mentioning. Um, there was a lot of that. So this is, I think, where we get to probably the biggest event that happened um, in the week in terms of headlines. Robin Hood officials stop users from being able to um, buy. GameStop stock and other stocks seeing unusually high trades, like also AMC. There are claims this resulted in a massive crash in the stock price of GME. The timing, however, doesn't support this. So the reports from like you know CNBC or Vice or kind of any sort of article you'd see talking about this came in around 9:30 a.m. So presumably before that is when they closed things down. And then it was reported on shortly after. It's at this point about 9:30 in the morning that when the um, the market reopens up again, it opens up at 265. So in pre, in pre uh, market trading, it ended up at 265 after the closure. And then the price skyrockets to 468 after Robinhood closes. And that huge spike happens in the span of 30 minutes. And then after it gets that high, it crashes again, and then it went up to about three hundred and seven less than an hour later, and then it worked its way up to four hundred and twenty-four dollars in the following hours in the day, which very much follows the same trend of when Melvin Capital closed out of their short positions, that you would see this sudden spark up and then a sudden decline. Um, this is I want to be very clear about this. This is not me saying that what Robinhood did was okay. I think that there are discussions that kind of need to happen around that. Regardless of their intentions, was that the best thing that they could have done in that moment? Um, I can see their perspective on it. I can also see um, other people's perspective saying you really shouldn't allow the training to happen because you're taking the freedom away from people. But we'll talk a little bit more about that in in a second. Um, This was
1: the point at which I think we'll get to like more aftermath in a second but this is the point at which i think was the make or break moment for this whole movement and when all the like yeah. this was when everyone was all in we had read about it on wednesday thursday comes and suddenly all these people who were ready to throw their money at it couldn't and so it loses momentum yeah not necessarily that like them closing it caused this directly but like a lot of people when they're like mm-hmm. oh i can't get robin hood or i can't get this stock right now well I guess maybe I'll hold off and wait and then everything crash. And
0: so I think this yeah. is what really killed the momentum for it. Yeah. And I think that when the narrative is so much of David versus Goliath and then this happens and that app is only used by David and not by Goliath, it definitely yeah. s- sets this narrative in a way that can absolutely frustrate a lot of people. Uh, at the same time, E Trade halted all trading of GME and AMC, which is buying and selling. And they promise to resume trading on Friday. A, a note I want to make on this really quickly, actually halting a stock and saying you cannot buy or sell is within the rules of a brokerage of, an ex- of a stock exchange. This is just kind of how it works. And it's there to protect investors. If the stock is very volatile, which in this week, it, it absolutely was. Um, but it's also there like if, you know, Nintendo's about to announce their financials, well, they're going to close out trading on Nintendo. Because they want to wait for the financial information to come out before people can buy and, and sell. Like, last week I tried to buy Nintendo stock and I couldn't because it was halted, excuse me, because of the financial info, info they were about to uh, release.
1: So basically saying, hey, you so, ignorant fuck. There's <laughs> First of all, you should know their financials are yeah. coming out next week and you should be waiting to hear about <laughs> it. But also we'll protect you just in case you didn't yeah. hear.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's it's definitely that, and I think it's also for like insider trading stuff. Like, okay, some people at Nintendo, like you know, know some information. They're gonna leak it out to some people and sell now. We didn't reach our quarterly numbers. Spoiler alert, though, Nintendo did reach their quarterly numbers. They <laughs> shot it out of the park, um, but that's not what we're talking about right now. So um, on Thursday, um, GME closed at one hundred and ninety three dollars, so it dipped down from the previous day by quite a bit. Friday, January 29th, Robinhood clarifies their position from the following day because obviously it was very controversial. And I think this is really important information. Basically, brokers connect buyers and sellers and then hand off the transaction to a clearing house which processes the payment. That can take 2 days. In order for the money to go through immediately, so when you buy a stock and sell it like you'll see that exchange happen immediately on your end, the broker has to have that cash on hand to facilitate that transaction from the buyer and seller's perspective. And now they are, it's essentially collateral so that the clearing house can process the transaction for them. So you as the buyer and seller see everything roll out instantly, but really is taking a long time for it to process in, in Robinhood or any brokerage, not just Robinhood, but any brokerage is, is fronting that cash in the moment. Now, clearing houses require daily deposits from brokers to cover these transactions during processing. So a few days after all this happens, and they announced kind of what happened here, um, Vlad Tenev, the CEO of Robinhood, talks to Elon Musk on Clubhouse um, about the trading restrictions that they put in place. Uh, Elon was holding his feet to the fire on it. Um, and basically what Um, Vlad said is that the deposit that was required by the um, NSCC, the National Securities Clearing Corporation, was $3 billion. And and that's just because they needed... It it was a huge jump up in what Robin Hood essentially had to give a clearinghouse before. And that's because of the level of trading that was going on. The clearinghouse is like, look, you gotta give us more money to handle these transactions because if you go to handle a transaction and then you can't afford to pay for it and anything bounces, that's on you. So they didn't have the money to support um, the clearinghouse's demands, and that's why they had to close down On the selling of the stock now this is where the limits come into place so with a billion dollars in new funding that they had gotten they were then able to open up trading again but because the billion was not the full amount that a clearinghouse needed they had to limit the amount of stock that you could buy so that it was within what was reasonable for the clearing house. So basically, no one's money is being bounced on them, like it's like to prevent like a bounced check kind of scenario with the stock. Now, one thing that's important here as well is that a lot of there's a lot of talk that Citadel is the company that gave Robinhood the one billion. Citadel is the company that bailed out uh, Melvin um, Melvin Capital. Mm-hmm. People are saying that Capital gave uh, Citadel gave Robinhood that one billion, which kind of shows a um, a conflict of interest, but it's it's not known. It, it's not clear that that's what happened. I couldn't find any source that that says that. But what the connection between Citadel and Robinhood is is that Robinhood basically takes the retail investor trading information, so what everyone is buying and selling, and gives that to other financial firms like Citadel. So that they can learn from that data to find out kind of where general interest is in certain stocks. Just like how Google takes information and gives it to advertisers. Same exact concept, just with financial information in different financial organizations. So that's what happened on Friday. And on Friday, GameStop closed at $325. Okay. So it was a loaded so, week. Let's recap. Loaded week. A lot happened. The next week is not nearly um, as involved um, not it wasn't as kind of hectic from day to day. So we're just going to go over the kind of three bullets that okay. happened okay. in in that week. Um, so okay, over the over the course of the week, Robinhood was slowly increasing the trade limit on shares of GameStop and other restricted shares um, before removing all the limits altogether on Friday, February fifth. The limit inc- um, increases are the result of a, an additional two point four billion dollars in funding from financial institutions. So they basically got three point four billion dollars in total. Um, for to support the trading of of, um, of these very volatile stocks. So that's why they're able to kind of slowly open things back up again. Um, and that's kind of how we are where we are now uh, with that and how you can now just buy and sell as much GameStop as you want um, via Robinhood. Um, they're in the link in here too. They actually named the organizations that got them to to the 3.4 billion i didn't see citadel on there but i where i kind of just wanted to play devil's advocate don't know you don't want to be certain um i think that article of or that blog post from robin hood was talking about the 2.4 billion they got i don't know if that was including the 1 billion or not so i don't want to say for sure um but i just thought i would throw that out there um okay so game uh in the week of um, between Monday, February 1st, and February um, 5th, Friday, February 5th, GameStop's price fell from 375 in pre market trading all the way down to um, $66 in aftermarket trading on Friday. So it, it dropped off, um, most likely because the short positions had already been covered, and just people were generally selling their stock off throughout the week. Um, during that week, Mark Cuban does an Ask Me Anything on the Wall Street Bets. Um, um, reddit um, community right Re- and within that he recommended that people hold the stocks and if they had bought in and that was kind of shown as a sign of support for for wall street bets so that's kind of everything that happened with the short squeeze scenario itself so now the dust is settling and i just kind of wanted to go over what are what are some of the, the kind of outcomes of this? What are the things we still don't know? Um, we're going to go through that right now. So one, as a positive, some Redditors who made big gains use their money to do good things, which is awesome to see. So one is buying up billboards in Times Square and the local communities to show support for Wall Street bets. So you'd see like, um, to the moon and things like that, like on a billboard at, at in whomever's local town because they made a bunch of money on GameStop stock. That was kind of cool to see. Um, there's one redditor who bought Nintendo Switches for children's hospitals, which was really cool to see. Um, and then Shamath, one of the billionaires that I had mentioned earlier, he he had bought it into GameStop, um, and. All the money that he made, he gave to the Barstool Fund for COVID relief. So that was cool to see. As of February 3rd, short interest has gone down from the high of about 140% that was talked about down to 51%. That comes from a firm called S3. Will you again
1: remind us what that means?
0: The short interest? Yeah. Is the, um, the percentage of stocks that are are... In the amount of stocks that are technically out there, including loan stocks, which is why it's over 100% because there were so many loan stocks out there. So we went from from being
1: like 140% of this stock. Like someone had used now 140% of their credit card limit and now they're only down to using about 50% of their credit card limit. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's also worth noting that there's a lot of different <clears> estimates on what that sh- um, short interest was. So there are some that was 140%. There are some that was uh, 120%. There was one that was 226% from FINRA, which is a private organization that tracks this every single day. Um, so there could still be shorts out there. We don't really know. Um, and a lot of that data takes time for it to um, to come up. So the 120% number, when that was being talked about for the past two weeks, that was a two-week-old number. But um, because it doesn't get updated very regularly, um, but then Finra does update regularly, and they show two hundred twenty-six. So there's just it's just kind of all over the place. So There's still some uncertainty there. So we might need to wait a while before we really know how much that short interest has dropped, or if financial ins- institutions started shorting the stocks when it got up to five hundred points, so that they could make money on its on its down on its downward trend. Um, so we'll find more about that out um, as probably the weeks go on. There was a class action lawsuit against Robinhood because they prevented people from buying stock but still allowed them to sell the stock. There's a YouTuber named Legal Eagle who everyone should check him out by the way. He's a really Eagle. good. Have you seen Legal Eagle before? No, but I watch scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> he's Eagle. Um he's uh he's a really good YouTuber. He just breaks down like prominent news stories and it's like, "Hey, here's the legal perspective on this. This is what can and can't happen." Um he has a lot of ones only like, 22 minutes you sent of- us. No, that was someone named Meet Kevin.
1: Not like Um, Meet Kevin, like
0: Flesh Kevin, but
1: like Meet Kevin, like, hey, what's up? This is Kevin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, he's Super Meat Boy Kevin. That's who he is, yeah. Uh, so legal eagle says that the cases are um the class action lawsuits on robin hood are basically dead in arrival based on robin hood's terms and conditions this is also one lawyer's opinion we don't know what's actually going to happen but i think it's worth mentioning since um he seems to have a strong legal background he has lots of books behind him when he's talking <laughs> i assume he reads those books don't those worry it's a, fake, it's a fake it's a fake zoom background <laughs> <laughs> Uh so the legal disputes, b- via the terms and conditions for Robin Hood, legal disputes must be settled via arbitration, which specifically bars anyone for partaking in class action lawsuits or just like suing them in general, which is ridiculous. I just don't think that should ever be allowed in a contract. Like, hey, I can fuck you over and you can't do anything. Sign here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, yeah not cool. Um, Robin Hood, also in the terms and conditions, says that they can, al- they, can al- they are allowed to cancel any trade or prevent you from trading at any point. So, that's in the terms and conditions. That kind of does cover a lot of what the class action lawsuit is about. So, I'm curious how that one's going to play out. Um, we that will see. That's just like...
1: Um, but... Sounds like... A, that itself sounds like a manipulation of the stock market. Like, yeah, Robin Hood gets to control how you spend your money on the stock market. to. Like, that's yeah. saying... Oh, by the way you signed a contract with the government if the government wants to burn down your house and not pay you for it we can do it it's like yeah but that's still burning down my fucking house <laughs> that's that's not a good thing
0: <laughs> but you signed yeah the one the one thing i do think that like i think if you have your own money and you're putting it in and they're like nope slap your hand away like that's i don't think that's all right i don't i don't agree with that at all but if it was like a margin and they don't have confidence that you're able to pay them back on on the stock I think that that is an area where it might be okay, but it doesn't say about margin specifically. It's very clear, just any trade, any trade at all, they can just cancel on you. So it's, yeah, there's problems with that contract, I think. Um, And I I also don't know, like, can a court determine that a contract is ridiculous and just say, (laughs) no, this isn't legally binding? Like, no, there's no way. Um, So I'd be curious to see how that's going to play out. Um, The SEC, speaking of the law and regulation, um, the SEC says they have been looking into, quote, market volatility and is working with other um, regulatory institutions. No word on what is going to happen with that yet. Uh, We have no idea. So we will see. Robin Hood calls for the end to two-day settlements on trading transactions, which is basically the clearinghouse and having to wait two days and they front the money. Um, They see that as the big reason for the issues of the past few weeks. And I got to agree with them. I do think that's a huge part of what happened. Um, if you, if you like buy and sell, for example, like Bitcoin or Ethereum or some sort of cryptocurrency, because of blockchain technology, that happens immediately. Yeah. If you buy or sell anything, you don't have to wait for cash to settle. It just happens instantly. And I do think that we're at a point where we might be able to introduce that into just stocks. I think so. Too. I actually ran into how that. stocks operate.
1: I ran into that that issue. Because I had I mentioned that Wednesday I sold my AMC stock, and then on Thursday when I went to go buy Nokia and GameStop, whenever I hit the buy button, a little pop-up popped up that said, just so you know, you're using unsettled, part of the funds that you're using to cover this are unsettled funds, and if you sell them again within two days, then uh, you <laughs> might have some kind of 90-day, and I was like, I don't know what that means, I'm going to buy GameStop, hit okay, and then I immediately regretted my <laughs> Nokia purchase and sold those, and then that money it was unusable. So, whatever money I had from Nokia, I was like, I'm going to put this immediately back into GameStop. And because I turned it around in 24 hours, that money was like, like nope, this is ours for the next couple of days. I was like, oh, fuck. Guess I should have read that pop up a little better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I got to get that blockchain technology in there. It'll make things so much easier. I think an important question from all the aftermath of this, especially just because of the whole David Goliath um, perspective on this story, is how did the hedge funds do? The Wall Street Bets community was very much against the hedge funds. Well, there was some good and some bad stories here. So there were no hedge funds that closed. They're all still open. None of them were closed. But they did accrue accumulative losses of up to 70 billion dollars. So I'm not gonna go through all of these, but like they basically range from like a four percent loss of all their assets to fifty three percent in the case of Melvin Capital or forty five percent with uh, Maple Lane Capital. Um, so there were some big losses. Citadel actually lost three percent and they were bailing people out. Um, so yeah, there was some significant losses for sure. Some hedge funds, but actually did really well with with GameStop. Um, so there were there was one company here, Exodus Point, that made. 13.3 billion dollars off of gamestop um whether that's because they shorted or because they were playing a long game a while ago i don't know um but there were definitely some hedge funds that did really really fucking well so it is what it is it happened well it is worth, and it's then, worth mentioning that like all of the really
1: cool sounding ones made money, and all the like shitty ones are like, "That's that's the man trying to keep us down." They lost money. Like look, Falcon Edge yeah, like, Capital gained four point two percent. Exodus Point. Yeah, and then you like also those shitty the ones, Honeycomb one. Asset Management. Yeah, Maple Lane Capital, Citadel.
0: <laughs> like
1: of course you, Melvin, Cap- Melvin, fuck Melvin, take
0: fifty three percent of their money. I don't care. <laughs> I think Honeycomb Asset Management just sounds like you're trading in cereal or something. Like I just <laughs>
1: Honeycomb. What if that was that yeah, fucking what? I'm, what even
0: was that Honeycomb guy? Was it a bear? He was a hedge fund manager. That's, <laughs> we know that now. <laughs> oh, okay. and the uh the last thing that happened in the aftermath is all the movie deals (laughs) all of the movie deals mgm has a film treatment coming up um jamie um, ragazinski the opportunistic guy who tried to co-opt wall street bets in the past uh, two weeks um he has sold his life story to rat pack entertainment um hbo is developing a movie there's gonna be a tv series called to the moon and a pbs documentary as well and i'm sure there's gonna be a lot more just gonna happen yeah um so yeah that is that is the timeline as it is right now on february 7th 2021 and everything that uh or most things that happened in the in the lead up um the actual short squeeze itself and then the aftermath
1: that was an extensive amount of research and presentation you just gave to us holden thank you very much and for dumbing it down for all of us Thank you. losers who don't
0: know stock stuff. I I don't know much. I couldn't tell you how to buy or sell stocks. So I wouldn't say that I so, am uh, knowledgeable uh, on that. Uh,
1: let's talk about that a little bit because I think part of the good that came out of this is a little bit of the democratization of the stock market. Like there, mm-hmm. for the first time, there was a huge number of people who learned oh. You know, actually, trading stocks is pretty easy. And what is a short sale? And what is all of this st- all of this terminology and things like that? Because for so long, the stock market was just like, oh, if you don't have, you know, a-, a broker on Wall Street, then you can't get into the this- the game, or you mm-hmm. have to go through some kind of crazy financial advisor. Like, no, like if you have a smartphone, the power's in your hands, and it's pretty instantaneous with the two-day publisher's clearing yes. house. <laughs> um, so I think that's part of the, for better or for worse, because it also enabled people to gamble from the from their homes. Uh, for better or for mm-hmm. worse, it, it put the stock market within reach for a lot of people who didn't think that they could be part of it. And now they have another source of income or fun or uh, ways to manage. Like if they want to long term like invest in something like Apple or Tesla or something like that that's gonna or, or Amazon like something that's gonna help them out with their retirement. they now see how easy that is to do if they wouldn't be risky and take a chance with day trading like that's a thing that people now realize they could do, which i think is is a good
0: thing overall absolutely i I personally have very i've been very conflicted with the stock market myself and I'm kind of like why not do that like why not like it takes some companies that I like and and See what we, we what we can do with that. It, it definitely is, is empowering in that sense. And actually, it's funny because like before all this happened, I want like a week or two before this happened. I was talking to Daniel Regera on his stream. And I we were talking about a lot of political stuff, and one thing I mentioned was like, hey, there's this concept of UBI, and why don't we instead of giving people like a thousand dollars every month, we give people a thousand dollars in stock vouchers to invest in the stock market? That way, they actually have a presence and a say in in what happened. And maybe not a thousand dollars every month. I was just kind of spitballing because of Andrew Yang's plan of a thousand dollars every month or two thousand, whatever it was. Um, and I'm like, yeah, because like that that would empower people to not be the little guy and to actually participate in in the process of the stock market. Because you keep hearing things like, well, the stock market went up, and everyone's like, yeah, but that's not me. And like, right. we should move to a time where that is you. Because I kind of understand that stock market is gambling. I get that. But I do think that it is being a part of the companies around you. And, oh, that company's doing fucked up shit. I'm pulling out. I don't want to support that. And I feel like that puts a lot of power in people's hands. Um, and in this case, it was... I mean, I think that a lot of this was just to fuck over hedge funds. But I think a lot of it, too, is like, hey, people are like, hey, GameStop actually is better than we thought it was. So maybe we do want to put our money there because we like video games. We like GameStop. We like the stock. We like the stock. Um, So it's just cool to see that happening. Um, There is the danger, though, of, like, misinformation and people investing in stocks for bad reasons. Like, one of the things I found is that when I was looking at – I was on Webull a lot looking at the stuff. And there would just be all of these, like – posts of someone saying oh you should also take you should sell all your gamestop stock and and put it into this stock instead and you look at the stock i'm like that that's a garbage stock it's clearly (laughs) a garbage stock like don't do that um so there's things like to be careful of but that's also kind of just how the world is Mm -hmm. like i don't think there's really anything you can do to necessarily stop that and the benefits outweigh those potential negatives so it's this is definitely i i hope it is the turning point that um that is being discussed absolutely dope
1: Holden, aside from playing the stock
0: market this week, what else did we play? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we both played Destruction All-Stars and Sackboy A Big Adventure. Which one do you want to talk about first?
1: Let's talk about the good one first, Destruction All-Stars. Um, (laughs) just kidding. That game sucks, (laughs) y'all. I was so... The biggest sigh of relief whenever I played this game is that, thank God I didn't pay $70 for that launch. Well, I did pay $70 at launch for this, and then they refunded me, and now I have it free. And thank God I have it free. Um... uh, I did not have a good time with this. We played it on game night, because, hey, it's free. For anyone who's PS5, we'll all get together and play. But it, um... There are a few things that I didn't like about it. The first being the UI was so difficult to navigate. It was also like launch week, yeah. it was broken a lot, matchmaking wasn't working, mm-hmm. or we would be in a party, and some of us would get into a match, and the rest of us would be stuck on a frozen matchmaking screen. And But the gameplay itself, I feel like, was so empty. It was just crashing mm-hmm. your cars into others in a way that was not easy to do. I feel like it was like, it was so you. I think you mentioned it the whole time. Just like everyone just drives away from me. <laughs> it's like there's not enough of a boost to catch up to people, or the arenas weren't aligned in a way where you could easily surprise people and t-bone them. It was just like big openness, and so I was not into it. And I think we all kind of agreed that if there were we- if this was twisted metal, it would be better. If there were weapons that I could homing do a homing rocket mm-hmm. on you, or I could uh, shoot you with my artillery, or we had. Jesus, like, actual abilities on our cars are people that matter, aside from just, like, having a trail of fire for 10 feet out the back of it. Like, <laughs> those are the kinds yeah. of things that would make this interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said. It, it's just, it's it's kind of like Godfather, where It's like, it's not horrible. It's just so mediocre. It's not worth it. The menus, though, were terrible. The menus were really fucking horrible. Um, but it's just like there was, <laughs> it It played well. I never had, like, an issue where it was stuttering or, like, anything like that. The graphics were really good-looking, I thought. Um, it, like, it had a personality in terms of like, the character models and that kind of stuff. That was, like, fun. But, like, yeah, the gameplay, it just, like, fell apart completely. And I think one of the important ones you called out there was being able to attack other cars. Why is your attack a power-up you have to wait for? Yeah. Like, you, you charge once at a car, and then you miss it every fucking time, and then you have to wait for it to load back up again. And that's one thing if it's, like, your special ability. Right. It's something else if it's, else if it's your main attack method. Unless just ram, ramming into cars regularly is your main attack method. I mean, you, you and get you nowhere do that. near like, the amount I'm just, of
1: points and gears and stuff like that from just ramming in them regularly. It's like, think of playing Mortal yeah. Kombat, but you have to wait. 10 seconds between moves everything else you're just like both moving on the screen waiting for your thing to recharge and then oh i'm gonna throw this at you oh it missed okay we're just gonna move on the screen for a little bit like that would be a terrible fighting game yeah so why would that make sense in a driving game
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and i, I don't know, i feel like there's potential i feel like they could do some big updates to this and make it a little bit more like arcadey and, and fun and a faster pace but like yeah it just doesn't don't work for me Yep, me neither. Don't work for me. The other game, though, which we already talked about before on the podcast, so it's not a surprise that we both love this game, but Sackboy a Big Adventure. Yeah,
1: we are on this role where, like, basically once a week, we're playing through a whole world at once with uh, Jeff and Darby from Nerds at Large, and it's great. And, uh, nothing new to say other than this game should be 100% on everyone's list of things to buy and play, multiplayer, it's so much fun. It is such a wonderfully crafted game with so much care and detail, and it continues to surprise me.
0: Yeah, uh, I think the thing I would add this time, because I missed last week with you guys. I caught you this week. So I missed one of the worlds. I still need to go back and play it. Um, the Crablantis Kingdom, I think is what it's mm-hmm. called. Uh, it got hard. It got really hard. It did. Yeah, which is fun. Like, I love that. Um, it, it was enjoyable that that difficulty curve because it it was bananas. That boss battle was intense. <laughs> I was also so tired for the boss battle that um, I was not doing too well I, after
1: I feel like that boss battle though was, is like uh when you play something like new Super Mario Bros Wii U or something like that, when like, yes, you can play this with four characters, but that doesn't mean it's gonna make it easier. <laughs> like if there were fewer of us on the screen, I think it would be easier. Because every time you guys shot something, then that, that disc on the ground would, like, shoot out the circles. And then if all of you are shooting something three times a second, then it's nonstop and we're all dying. So it's like, if it were just me by myself, that yeah. could be a little easier. But not as fun.
0: Yeah. It was good stuff, though. It was good stuff. Good game. More people need to buy that game and play it. Yeah. Chad, there's some things you played without me.
1: I did. Uh, I was will start with why, the why two quick that?
0: ones. Super... Why didn't you play Pokemon Ash Gray with me? Why didn't you do that? <laughs>
1: uh, I want to start with Super Mario Galaxy. We had the kids over for a few days at my mom and dad's house because uh, there was a COVID exposure that turned out to be fine. They tested negative, so they were over here just to, as a protective measure. So we played all sorts of games, like Titanic, the board game, which is not a good game. Um, surprise. But we also played Super Mario Galaxy. This was the first time that I had played that as part of 3D All-Stars because I just generally didn't like that game, surprisingly enough. But we booted up Mario Galaxy because they had never played, aside from Mario Odyssey, they had never played a 3D Mario. And um, I was disappointed. I was really disappointed in the port of that game because of how much they relied upon the Wii. Yeah. Like, Mm. the... It was very much a lazy port of the game to Switch and just shoehorning controls to make sure that it worked rather than thinking about how to make this game a Switch game. Like, even the menus, like, do you want to save your game? You can't just hit A to say yes. Mm -hmm. You have to point the controller at the yes button and then hit A on it. And while you're playing, there's constantly the P1 little star going on the screen. Uh, Sorry, we were playing on the TV the whole time, not in handheld mode. Um. so it's constantly just going on the screen, being obnoxious where you used to be pointing a Wii remote. Um, and, and so it, all of the buttons, all of the menus, all of the like, oh, you want to go to this world now? All right, well, move your controller up and point at the star and then pull the trigger. It, it didn't need to be that way
0: especially when it's one thing if it's the Wiimote and you're literally pointing with a pointer yeah. at the screen but when you have a two-handed controller and you're like finagling it to like get it feels weird yep. and then even in handheld mode when you're holding it and then you have to take your hand off and touch the screen when it feels like it should just be a menu press yeah it just is weird it doesn't bother me as much when i'm like collecting the stars i think that's fine um, because I get why I'm directly interacting with those objects on the screen. Like I couldn't have done that with a button, for example. Um, but yeah, in a menu, it's like, you really should have done some, some more here. Yeah. Absolutely. And what really made it... You specifically, Chad. You should have done more with it. You should have <laughs> gone to Nintendo ahead of time.
1: What really made it upsetting <laughs> is that I was excited that it was a co-op game. I was like, oh, there's this two-player thing so I can have both my niece and my nephew play. So I gave my niece control of Mario. And I was like, Matthew, look, you can hold a Joy-Con... He's six. You can hold a Joy-Con and you can collect star bits and you can shoot them at the enemies. But because it's not infrared and it's all just like motion based on the Joy-Con, like he had no idea how to understand how to move that thing around and point it. And anytime he would click the R button, like it would move a little bit and it was impossible. We just eventually gave up on the second player and just
0: traded off Mario back and forth. But
1: see, I was disappointed.
0: Do you play Mario in 3D? Like when you're doing like Cappy or something like that as a second player in Mario Odyssey, like it's never fun. Yeah. You just want to play as Mario and jump around. Like,
1: hold <laughs> uh, Holden, I've officially become a person who raids every week now in Destiny. I realize this, that this is the fourth week in a row that, that uh, we've done some kind of raid content in Destiny 2 and it is wonderful and I'm loving every freaking second of it. Even if we spent pff, eight hours on the same raid that we've already beat before, uh, it was worth it. I have a good time. I bond with people. We get cool swag, cool gear. Um, I love it. So we did that again this weekend. and we finally I feel like got a hold of that last boss encounter to the point where like we beat it. Kyle St. James who has divinity, if anyone didn't know, he like got the checkpoint <laughs> with another character we came back with like, hey, you just want to farm this last boss again for more spoils. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we got to the point where like, okay, we could do this regularly. And get him down. Like we were be able to beat him multiple times in a row, really efficiently, really effectively. Um So I feel good about the next time we attempt this raid, which could be this week. Actually, probably not this week because the resets this week and the new season, and we're gonna be doing all that fun new shit.
0: I just find it funny that like this week I finally realized it's like, dude, you've been that way for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you've well, you've been like the <laughs> destiny dude for feels like years well,
2: now
1: <laughs> no the des- destiny is is fine but like raiding has always been an event oh I, okay so i see the distinction now okay yeah doing a raid we did the leviathan raid a year ago in january and then we did and it was a year again before we attempted deep stone crypt so it was four weeks ago we did deep stone crypt that was the second raid i'd ever done and you know that took x number of hours and then the week after that we were like oh let's do garden of salvation so that we can all get divinity and do deep stone crypt better and we didn't get it that week <laughs> we got to the final boss banged our head against the <laughs> wall and said we give up we'll try to get next week and then we did we tried it again the next week and we got it so yeah raiding is specifically because you have to navigate six people's schedules and you have to coordinate there's so much communication and so many mechanics that like it takes a lot of coordination to make that happen But uh, shout out Mm -hmm. to the nine other Guardians who have been raiding with me so far this month. I tweeted at them the other day, and it was wonderful. But my last thing that I played was more Pokemon Ash Gray. I mentioned that, you know, I got my Game Boy Advance. I took the purple shell off of it and got a new white shell because my original Game Boy Advance was white. So actually, to tell you the truth, my original Game Boy Advance was the translucent pink because that's all they had in stock at Media Play. But then, as soon as they got a white one in stock, I gave the pink one to my sister, and I got the Glacier White. So, oh, sorry, Arctic White. So, I, I've been playing Pokemon Ash Gray, which I mentioned to everybody, that is, like, it's the, the anime fan mod of Fire Red on Game Boy Advance. So, it follows Ash and everything that happens to him, from the Drill attacks to fighting Brock and the sprinklers going off while they're fighting Onix in the gym and Pikachu attacking them and getting powered up in the generator and all that shit. But I played another like four or five hours this week. And, you know, I got past Cerulean City. And I am just so, I'm so into this game. Because it is the original game that obviously I fell in love with as a kid. The original 151. It's the anime I watched as a kid. But I'm playing through the game again. And not only are there so many new things because of the anime stuff. But also there are just like, like going through Mount Moon. I was dreading it because obviously going through Mountain Moon the first time, you're running into all those fucking Zubats and you know it's just going to be a bunch of (laughs) ladder puzzles. But it was a completely different dungeon. And I don't think that this was because of the Fire Red remake. I think this was because of the anime stuff. It was a completely different dungeon where like halfway through you're up outside of the dungeon, like in the world and there are trees and shit like that. But then you you come across all the Clefairies like hailing the Moonstone and you go try to take the Moonstone and Team Rocket shows up, Jesse and James and... And like all of this is like it totally puts a new spin on everything else about that original game that makes it have so much so much new life for me as well, which is awesome.
0: Especially when Pokemon stories are typically complete and utter garbage. Yeah, it sounds like this is actually a story. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where things happen, and it's not just "Hey, you beat that gym you should you should go to the next gym." It's like more than that.
1: And because (laughs) it is like so much following Ash from the anime. I'm actually playing it differently. Usually, anytime I play <laughs> any of that first-generation Pokemon game, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to try something different. But I always end up with the same exact team at the end of it. I end up you know, with Charizard, Articuno, Mewtwo. Like, I, I always have the same exact Pokemon all 500 times that I've played that game. But this time, because it is so close to Ash, I'm challenging myself to actually play it with Ash's Pokemon that he has in the anime. And so, like, I have a Butterfree right now that is my fucking best Pokemon. And I was able to cheese. There's this part where after you beat Misty in Cerulean City. Well, actually, first of all, even beating Misty this way, I, I cheesed it with with Butterfree. It's like none of my Pokemon were anywhere close to being strong enough for it. But Butterfree knew Sleep Powder. <laughs> so what I would do is I would put the <laughs> Pokemon to sleep with Butterfree, swap it out to, like, a level four um, like sand true or a pidgey or something that had sand attack and i would just sand attack sand attack sand attack they woke up switched to butterfree put him to sleep sand attack and just make it so that no matter what they tried to do they would miss and then i would just switch back to butterfree and just tackle <laughs> tackle, tackle 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 over and over and over till i finally whittled down the first one and then starmie comes out and I just tackle 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 until it dies too it took me like 20 minutes to beat two pokemon but I felt like, oh, my God, this is a brand new challenge. I'm using status moves like I've never done before. Um, so I'm, I'm having a blast with it. I will definitely continue, definitely go through the events of the first movie, at least, in the Elite Four. I'm excited.
0: That sounds cool. I would much rather play that Pokemon game than any of the official ones, like any of them.
1: Yeah, it's cool. That and sounds I like, mean, like technically way more It's fun. free on the Internet because it's a fan mod. But I just happened to buy a cartridge version of it because I want to play on this new console, this retro
0: console I bought. That's that's dope. That's like sounds like the way to do it. Yeah. Boom. What'd you play? I also played games this week. Um, Amazingly, and everyone hold your breath. I'm about to shock the whole world. I played Animal Crossing: New Horizons this week. Fuck you! I know. (laughs) It's it's such a surprise. Uh, so surprising! I won't even bother to tell you what happened in it because it's the same thing I do every week. God, I love that <laughs> game. Um, I also played. I played actually a little bit of Majora's Mask. I've been doing that, but I'm saving that for barf. We're talking Why are you about playing that, Majora's the Mask? Barf talk at the end of the month because it's our barf game this month. Oh, our backlog! everyone play it with, along with us.
1: Friends? that's yes, dope. That is where the who, barf is. Who voted on that?
0: Everyone on Patreon. <gasps> patreon.com slash respawn fire respawn yep i think we both said it the same exact time i'm curious it's going to line up in the actual <laughs> audio <laughs> um i also played uh control ultimate edition which was our barf last month and we uh i, I should say i timed it horribly <laughs> because right after we talk about it it's then available for free on uh um, playstation plus um i i I was annoyed at first that I would have to play the whole game over again. But do you want to know what? When I started playing this on PS5 and I felt those just so sweet haptics and saw that oh so beautiful ray tracing, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm playing this game again on PS5. Holy shit. Um, this is my... I think this is the first... I want to say this is the first game I played with ray tracing because I, I, I'm trying to think PS5, like full-on PS5 games i played... Snacks doesn't have any ray tracing. Definitely in it. not. Very confident in that one. Definitely not. Demon Souls actually doesn't have ray tracing. They use a different lighting engine, so no ray tracing in that. And I don't, I can't think of any other game that has like an update that does ray tracing. I think this is my first game I'm playing with ray tracing. And let me tell you, it took me a while to get to the level of the um, launch ability mm-hmm. because I would just pause everywhere. And then say, okay, go back to display settings. Let's change to graphical. Let's change the performance. <laughs> Let's compare what the ray tracing looks like. It's a huge difference. It's
1: huge. Especially in that game, it, man.
0: Especially in that game. Holy crap, because lighting was already a really prominent part of the mood and the atmosphere. And it's it, it's, oh man, it's breathtaking. It's so good looking. To the point where I'm like, if you had just told me this was a next-gen game, I'd believe you. That's awesome. If you said this never even came out on PS4, I would believe you and just think it's a PS5 exclusive. It's really, really good. And the haptics, I'm mostly positive on them, but I do have one small complaint. But I won't talk about that yet. The, hap- the good part of the haptics is you can feel every single step. Every time Jess walks, you feel every step, which I think is one of my favorite haptic kind of feedback you get. It's one of Mm -hmm. my favorite things about Astro's Playroom is feeling the footsteps in the controller, and it changes based on if you are walking or jogging or straight-up sprinting. It adjusts the sensation of the haptic, so you really feel connected um, to the character. When you do get the launch ability, you feel those haptics. It has the adaptive trigger support, so when you shoot a gun, you actually have that feeling of you're pulling a trigger. It adjusts the adaptive trigger there. It's overall, like, really, really good in terms of adapting to PS5. There's one thing, however. There's a few moments where I felt like they could have included haptics and they didn't. And it made those moments feel a little bit more empty compared to everything else that I experienced before. So for example, when you get to a cleanse point and you're like struggling with something, yeah. There's no feedback. And I'm like, that would have been a really good moment to have feedback to feel the tension that Jess is experiencing right now. I get why that wouldn't be there and on a PS4 and it never bothered me on PS4 because it's not really a thing yeah. on PS4. But when you have haptics on every single footstep and you get to this point this point where there's like a lot of tension and then there's nothing, it's kind of jarring. Yeah. Um
1: I guess part of that is like you're so, using the square button to cleanse the point, which you know doesn't have any kind of resistance yeah. or anything like that to it. But I feel like I don't know, for this maybe just remap that to a trigger. Just for this. Why not? Not. I I,
0: I guess I don't mean like resistance in that sense, but like You know how like when there's like a big explosion or something like that, and a cutscene, and like the controller will vibrate. Even just that would have been nice. There's not even that the the controller does nothing. But yeah, I think mapping it to a trigger would have been really cool too, because then you can kind of push against and and experience that. That would have been awesome as well. It just the whole thing kind of like those moments kind of feel hollow in comparison. But I mean, it doesn't take away from the experience because the gameplay moments, the shooting, the launching things, um, all that. Has haptics; they feel great. It's awesome. So, like your moment-to-moment gameplay, it's a huge difference on PS Five. It really, really is. It is worth playing all over again just for PS Five. Also, loads so fucking fast. Oh my
1: god! Right, I was watching this Super video fast. on Twitter from GameStop, GameSpot. Um, I bet GameSpot <laughs> stock went crazy by compare just by association. <laughs> People accidentally buying that. Um. I'm going to tweet that out later. <laughs> um, I, so I was, I was watching a video comparison of the load times on Twitter from them, and it was just like seven seconds from clicking the icon on your menu bar to actually reaching the, the press X to play control. And so it was seven on PS5. It was like 57 on PS4 Pro and like a minute and four on PlayStation 4. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's insane. And you, you texting me about this the other night, you're like, oh, my God, I'm, I think I'm going to play the whole thing again. It's amazing. I, I almost, almost today went back and started it again on PS5. Because, again, if you haven't listened to the Barf episode, I'm not going to spoil anything right now, but you should play this and then go back and listen to that. Um, I was bummed about the save file thing because I, I had purposefully saved some side quests in my replay to then try out an Ultimate Edition on PS5. But now that I have to start back from fresh, I also realize my trophies aren't going to carry over if my save file doesn't carry over. So my plan was—I was getting
0: those. Yeah. Oh, my, I see my what you're plan saying. was yeah. I was
1: just going to pop all the trophies again on PS5 and then go clean up the couple from the DLC that I hadn't done yet. But now I'm just like, if I have to get all of these trophies again, it's not even. More, I'm not even going to jump in there and try this. So, I will jump into it eventually. And just feel the haptics, see what the ray tracing looks like. But I don't think I'm going to play it again. But I love that game.
0: You definitely just jump into experience it. It's worth it. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you were just like, fuck yeah, I'm just doing this again. <laughs> I pro- like. I honestly,
1: had, had I not started watching Your Honor today, I 100% was going to play Control but I'm three episodes into Your Honor and I am fucking glued to that shit and I can't wait for this podcast to end so I can go watch more Your Honor because that shit is awesome. (laughs) Just like, get the fuck out of my face, Holden. I need to watch Your Honor. Get the fuck out of my face. (laughs) That's whenever, before this podcast, when I was like, this main quest might take like an hour. Are you sure you want to take away Your Honor from me for an hour?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, moving on to the quest log. Starting, Starting off with Sony's quest log. 10 to 15 percent of all US PS5s estimated to have been resold, says Joe Scribbles at IGN. It actually, he reported it, but it was actually Michael Driscoll, who is a data engineer for Oracle, who scanned eBay and StockX for PS5 listings and found 157,000 units that were sold above MSRP. After looking at OfferUp, Facebook Marketplace, and Cra- um, Craigslist, Driscoll uh, confirmed that 10 to 15 percent of all PS5s were resold online. One million were sold in the first week, and then after um, after that, each week ranged from about 57 to 187 thousand. Um, there was that no sucks. data for uh, after January some 16th
1: can't wait until 2075 when we finally have like scalper technology that will stop all of them but then they will (laughs) whatever we decide to start doing instead of selling online they'll have found a way to fuck that over too
0: yeah i mean it's definitely there's a there's a lot of units that people were not able to get in stores for sure um michael driscoll makes a good point i think in his article which is that the main thing that is keeping people from getting the consoles is just the demand for them in general as opposed to scalpers sucking up every single unit. It's not great that there's scalpers like it's definitely taking in this case 10 to 15% of consoles away from people, um but it is still the the majority of the constraint, the vast majority of the constraint, the remaining I guess I guess you could say eighty five to ninety percent of the constraint is just there's a high demand and people really really want it, um, so it's 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 really AMD's fault for not making those chips fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, we should all pick it, AMD. <laughs> That's also
1: it's keep something um, to keep in mind that he's looking at stock that was sold above MSRP. Like that doesn't include all the ones that were up for a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars that people didn't buy because they were too expensive. That's still stock that yeah. was bought that people couldn't get.
0: Yeah. He was looking at that too and saying that, yeah, he, he mentioned that and he was talking about how basically there are so many of those listings that are just fake. They'll just be like, read description, and then it's like it's the box only. You can't actually buy the PlayStation that the box, you know, comes in. Yeah. Or it's like, hey, I, I'm going to get a PS5 soon, and you can pre-order it through me, and then I'll get it to you. Like weird things like that. So, he kind of said he just disregarded all those, um, and it's, and he basically, I think he was kind of running under the assumption that if it was there and it was a thousand dollars and it was a real unit, it was sold. Gotcha. there's not many of these like hanging around necessarily um but a lot of them did sell ps5 shipped 4.5 million units in 2020 and that matches ps4's launch Sony expects to sell. That's from um, Adam Bankhurst at IGN. A lot of the stories coming up are going to be from IGN. I realize that as i making the notes, I'm like, wow, this is the IGN show this week. Just like all <laughs> IGN, <laughs> all over the place. Um, Sony expects to sell 7.6 million PS5s by April 2021. They also note they endured some loss um, in potential profits due to, quote, strategic price points for PS5 that were set lower than manufacturing costs. Basically, they just lost money on each unit sold. Overall, Sony saw a 40% increase year on year however miles morales sold 4.1 million copies by december 31st and playstation plus is up to 47.4 million users so basically sony's doomed and they're going to go bankrupt any day now
1: <laughs> how impressive is that though that i mean uh, uh, it's not that impressive now that i remember something but like 4.1 million copies of miles morales 4.5 million ps5s i forgot that it was always also on ps4 though which has like 110 million units out there so but still, dope for Miles Morales though for selling four million copies. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. I was gonna absolutely. make a thing about
1: the attach rate having an almost hundred percent attach rate. But no.
0: It's not Breath of the Wild, because that was the only thing that you could buy on Switch. Yes. <laughs> I think that had like a hundred percent attach it would, rate. It was over a hundred percent
1: because people had bought physical copies of it and oh, digital
0: copies. That's right. That's right, that's right. Um yeah, this is just good news for uh, for Sony overall. Uh, I, I kind of expected more PlayStation 5s than that, but maybe I just was I was being unrealistic. Um, but, like, good good for them. It also is interesting that they are losing money per device. Because I remember there was a rumor last year that there was this big kind of back and forth. with It was a rumor, so we don't know if it was true or not. There this big kind of back and forth about how they weren't sure if they wanted to sell for a profit or for a loss or not. Um, and... I kind of wonder what this thing would cost if it was for profit. Too much. <laughs> like How much higher would the price have been? I, I'm really curious.
1: I was, I was actually reading something from an article that I can't remember the name of, who wrote it, where it's from, or can cite nothing about it. But I was reading an article yesterday about um, how for the first generation, it's likely that Sony, a year, for, a year after launch, will not lose money. Because traditionally as consoles go from generation to generation, there's a period where they have to adapt. They are now having to put all of the things in such a smaller install base. Uh, they're taking a loss on hardware. So it's traditional for the first year or two of a console's life cycle for PlayStation to lose money. Um, but I, thought- I know PS3 was – sorry, go ahead. PS3 was – yeah, most of them are a year. PS3 was actually several years in a row that it lost money that PlayStation the company lost money not necessarily they lost money on the console but you know all sorts of things like they have games for PS3 that are coming out that you can't play on PS2 but because this generation is different and they've invested so much in services and platforms they now can sell games across generations and still tap into that audience they are selling PlayStation Plus memberships and they have games that are platforms that are going for years at a time where people are just sinking money Mm -hmm. into it that this might be the very first generation where they actually turn a profit the first year of a new piece of hardware which could be really exciting
0: i so ps4 was profitable in may of 2014 so ps4 was profitable the ps4 was but they
1: still took a hit that year because the software was still restricted to only ps4 i see what
0: you're saying okay overall profitability not profitability
1: not the console gotcha okay Okay,
0: gotcha, gotcha. Just wanted to clarify. Okay, cool. Yeah, because they um, had
1: PS4-exclusive games yeah. that couldn't be played on PlayStation 3, so there mm-hmm. was a whole audience that wasn't buying the shit they were making because there was only a, yeah. a handful of people who had a PS4 at the time. So this is the first year that they, are, they actually, as a company, as, as a division of Sony, will be profitable in the first, genera- first year of the generation.
0: Because that was back when PlayStation Plus was kind of a, a joke compared to Xbox Live, <laughs> and now that's definitely not the case yep definitely different different sony for sure and they needed to be profitable i just realized I wrote plat station not playstation um but it is the Platten Plat station trophy for many people so yeah um what was i gonna say i can't remember it's whatever Nintendo Quest Log. Nintendo also has financials for us. Financials, money, money, money. So fun. <laughs> Nintendo Switch console has passed 3DS sales. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons has sold 31 million copies, according to Adam Bankhurst at IGN. So within nine months, Switch sold 24.1 million units, bringing the total units to 79.87 million units. So total. Animal Crossing is set to be the best-selling Switch game with 31.18 million copies sold. Right now, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is the number one with 33.41 million copies. I'm pretty sure that Animal Crossing can sell two more million units. No, maybe, it's dead. Maybe, just maybe, it's dead. It's over.
1: What's Holy interesting about shit. that, first of all, yeah, that's astronomical. That's awesome. Almost 80 million units in how many years? Three? It'll be four, four. years in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Bravo. There's also another stat that I saw that came out that said the Nintendo Switch Lite has outsold the Wii U, which was 13 million units. So, like, that's Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, "Oh, the Switch Lite. I wonder how well that's doing. It's not actually making up for any sales, but it turns out it's that's a pretty significant chunk of their of their install bases. Switch Lite, which is cool to see. Yeah. I wonder how many people uh, realize after they bought it, like, "Oh, I can't play this on the TV. I regret this." (laughs)
0: <laughs> it definitely makes this makes the switch great um yeah it's just awesome to see because there was so much nintendo is doomed during the wii u time or like is are they gonna go the way of sega and like not make hardware anymore and I, I it's just nice it's like that's over they're gonna be good for a while and i i also feel like this is now their form factor Like, I don't really think that they need to change the form factor so much because I think that their kind of quirkiness and all that, the Switch as a platform allows that quirkiness to continue. They could make different types of Joy-Cons if they want to do weird controller setups and all that. Like, they have so much flexibility with this that I feel like I think that they're going to be fine. I think it'd be totally cool. I don't think that we're going to run into, like, a Switch U model next time that's so weird and wacky and doesn't make any fucking sense, like the Wii U did, and it tanks. I feel like they've kind of found out what their niche is with the Switch, and now I'm like, how f- could this be one of the best-selling consoles ever? Yeah. I mean, I, it's going to go over $100 million easily, but they're probably going to sell it for another two years after that, before like the next version comes out, at a minimum, I would say. Yeah, I think a so few months ago, be... they said
1: they, they were at the midpoint of their life cycle, so that gives them another yeah. three years,
0: maybe. Yeah, so they're going to be doing really, really fucking well. But then you look at Animal Crossing, and holy moly, um, they they hit the big uh, the big short with uh or the big the short <laughs> squeeze with Animal Crossing there because like factors lined up and they just blew up on the sales there. Yep. The last Animal Crossing game sold twelve million units, so they basically have sold twenty more million units than their last version of this game because of the pandemic, the interest in Animal Crossing that resulted because of the pandemic, like it's just like weirdo. all those factors like aligned and then it popped and Animal Crossing sold 31.18 million copies. That's fucking insane. Like that's absolutely insane. It also just makes me happy because I love Animal Crossing and I feel like this means that Animal Crossing is bigger than Mario and Zelda.
1: Well, bigger than last generation's Mario and of course it's better than Zelda Breath of the Wild, worst game of the year.
0: I don't think a modern Mario game is ever sold that much. Let me look it up. Actually, I'm curious. And Breath of the Wild is the best-selling Zelda game.
1: That is surprising, though, because Mario Kart 8 Deluxe allows you to have two items. And you definitely can't hold two items in (laughs) Animal Crossing. (laughs) I can't hold a shovel and a ladder.
0: (laughs) Best-selling Mario video games. The list of the best-selling Mario games. Thank you, Nintendo fandom. Um, You're welcome. Only two Mario games have sold more than Animal Crossing. Which ones? That is Super Mario Bros. from 1985. Because that one's been on sale a And Mario trillion Kart Wii. Times. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I definitely believe Mario Kart Wii.
0: Everyone fucking had that yeah, thing with the steering the- wheel peripheral. This kind of surprised me, too. What do you think number three is? What Of all the Mario games, what's the the third highest sound? This is like a real Mario game, too. New Super Mario Bros. Wii. New Super Mario Bros. Just the, the DS version of it. Oh. That surprises me. Yeah. But the New Super Mario Bros. Wii is number four, so you're very close. Yeah. Which is funny because I think kind of like the consensus with like the uh, Mario Hard fans is like, oh, yeah, the controls are too floaty and it's just not the same as like the precision of Super Mario World. That's the best Mario game. It's like, well, the world disagrees. <laughs> they bought up that game like crazy. Speaking, because that's the metric of a good game is how well it sells. Speaking <laughs> of Mario,
1: did you watch the guy who uploaded all the videos of Super Nintendo World of all the rides?
0: No. So...
1: Somehow the the park had been delayed opening. It was originally going to open yesterday, February sixth, um, but they said they delayed it indefinitely due to COVID. But somehow there were still people there. I guess maybe invited guests or like testing rides or something like that. But there's a guy who just went through mm-hmm. with his phone, filmed everything, all the like lines waiting for the rides, <laughs> all of the like everything, um, and then filmed the Mario Kart ride once. With AR, so you could see the people driving around you, and then once without with the phone outside of the AR, so it's just the How? ride itself. How
0: did and I miss this? This is huge.
1: Yeah, and it was it's like forty minutes total. It's so, several YouTube videos worth of stuff. But um, the the recreation of all of that stuff is so faithful and so magical. But it also looks like it might be super boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I. I get it. I get it, you know, a little bit because Harry Potter world, if you look at it objectively, if you're not a Harry Potter nerd, like, and you look at it objectively, it's like, oh, there's a candy shop. There's a shop where you buy robes. There's a shop where you buy wands. There's a really, there's a a ride for kids with the hippogriff. And then there's a kind of cool, sorry, a fucking awesome ride with the castle. And then if you're in Florida, you also have... Well, in, in Florida, you have the Dueling Dragons ride, which is now uh, they've rebuilt that to something else, and then they have all of anyway. So I understand you could look at Harry Potter World and be like, well, you know, that's kind of limited in what it is, and it's just a bunch of walking around Hogwarts or Hogsmeade. But looking at this, like the Mario Kart tra- attraction is the attraction. Like we had talked about there being a Yoshi's attraction too, but he's he's literally just sitting on it, and it's like you're sitting in in a cart going. Ar- it's just a tour. Above Super Mario World, and you're going at like half of a mile an hour. Oh, there are some baby Yoshi's mm. over here doing something cute. Oh, I can look down and see the people over there eating ice cream or whatever. It's like,
0: it's not a ride. Yeah, I'd be looking at my phone that whole time. It's <laughs> happening on Twitter right now.
1: <laughs> but the um, the Mario Kart one does look does look pretty dope. If you if you're not doing AR, it looks super slow and boring as hell. But the AR it doesn't look as solid as you would want it to through the lens of the phone. But I'm sure that like with your two eyes as a human looking through the visor, it would look a lot better, but it looks like, um, I don't know. It looks fun. And it's just four people nonstop shooting turtle shells out at other people. Um, uh, and other obstacles along the way too. But yeah, it looks fun. It doesn't move very fast though, which was kind of a disappointment to me. It's not like you're in a go kart going on a track. You're like, you're moving pretty slow, but the characters around you are swerving in and out and you're shooting them. Yeah. You should watch it. It's I cool. Think
0: I'm good. Yeah. I'll watch it for sure. But I think I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel like when I think of like a theme park, I'm like, I want to go to Six Flags, where there's just like nothing but rides. I don't Yeah. I don't care about this stuff. Like I don't care about the the, the small little like games or basically it's like gambling without money. Or it is kind of gambling, but like But you know what's gonna be great I mean?
1: though? What I love about it is that it is a section of Universal Studios. So, like...
0: Oh, so you don't have to pay extra to get into
1: it? No, no. it's it's, a, it's Universal Studios is set up into, like, multiple little worlds, and it is just like, oh, oh gotcha, let's go okay. over to Mario World over here and eat lunch and ride this ride, and then after that, let's go over here to Harry Potter World and do this, and then after that, let's go to Islands of Adventure and ride the fucking Spider-Man ride in the Hulk and all, all that kind of stuff. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's not that, like then. I'm so paying only like to go to Super Mario World. I get that then. That makes more sense. It'd be like saying like, "Oh, I went to Superman Land in Six Flags, and it was just one roller coaster."
1: Exactly. Yeah. That.
0: Yeah. Okay, I get it now. Um, okay, I'm I'm more on board with that then. Okay, I was I think I had it in my head that it was like a whole theme park of Nintendo. Now I get it. I'm very out on the whole. Uh, out of it on the whole like theme park thing. Not that familiar, right? Yeah, know. I imagine going to an be like being
1: crowded in a line for an hour waiting to go on one tiny ride where you're crammed in a small cart is probably not your cup of tea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's fun to go to a theme park on off days, like before people care about going to theme parks. Like one of my favorites is going to Six Flags in like May. And then I can just get on Batman and then literally get out of the um, roller coaster, walk back into the line. No one's in the line. Get right back to the roller coaster again and just yep. keep going over and over and over again. That's the best way to do a theme park. Um, and you only at that point, you spend like three or four hours there and then you leave. You don't even have to, It doesn't even have to be like a whole day excursion. It's just the best way to do it. See the best way to do it? Nintendo might have a different idea of the best way to do the Nintendo Switch. Liar. Let's see. Nintendo's not planning to announce a new Nintendo Switch model anytime soon, in quotes, says Joe Scrubbles at IGN. So in a developer Q&A, uh, Nintendo claimed there was no new model planned for Nintendo Switch anytime soon. I also pulled this up from the Nintendo's investor site, and I highlighted a portion of a question they answered. Here's the question they got. You've talked about extending the Nintendo Switch lifecycle and further expanding the installed base and in that the user base has already become quite diversified. Where do you think there is room to grow? For example, demand for a second system, sales expansion in other regions, or expanding through something like Nintendo Switch Lite, which just completed its second holiday season. I heard news that you have no plans for a new model um, for the time being, but I'd like to hear more about your strategy for Nintendo's Nintendo Switch's family of systems. There's a whole long response. I don't need to read the whole of it. They basically say like, well, we're releasing the Mario Red and Blue one, which... <clears throat> is not what the guy was asking about <laughs> and then he's and then they answer and say with this release scheduled for new hardware with this release scheduled for new hardware nintendo switch having just marked its highest sales in its fourth year on the market we do not have plans to announce a new model moving on to future expansion of the install base we believe that as the number of nintendo switch users continues to grow this will also drive increasing demand for a second system among the nintendo switch's um, family of system in addition to sales in other regions liars 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 liars
1: we all know my prediction is correct when all the mario shit goes away into the vault forever on march 31st (laughs) they're gonna be like gotcha suckas now you have to buy a brand new system switch pro patent pending name is placeholder um we all (laughs) know that's gonna happen this year and of course they wouldn't say that in an investor call they're liars
0: yeah, I I'm on your side on that one. I I also we both predicted that there's going to be a new Switch model this year, so we're we're both feeling that it's it's going to happen. We have and stock in Nintendo having a new system, think,
1: so we have to uh, believe it.
0: <laughs> we have to. So I feel like part of my prediction is that it's not going to be like a pro model, like it's not going to be this additional model, like the Switch Lite was an additional model to the Switch, because. Right after the Switch Lite came out, they said, "No, no, no. There's no plans for an another you know Switch model after this." And then they immediately released the updated version of the Switch right. that had like the better battery or like something was different with the display. And like to them, that wasn't a it was new the new model, it was the new processor that it didn't allow for it to be jailbroken. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, um, but also happened to be more energy efficient. But it did have benefits. Yes, yeah, more energy efficient. There were some benefits to it, and but they didn't they didn't consider that. Like a hardware update, even though it was definitely a hardware update. So I feel like they can, they're playing fast and loose with their words here.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But all right. Moving on to third party quest log Streaming Wars. <gasps> That's my headline, not the headline I'm about to read from Steven Totillo at Kotaku. Google Stadia shuts down internal studios, changing business focus. So both Stadia Game Studios in Montreal and Los Angeles are closing. The Stadia Game Store and Stadia Pro are still going to be available. Those aren't going away. Jade Raymond, the producer of Assassin's, of the Assassin's Creed franchise, will be leaving the company. Google says they will continue investing in game streaming tech. And then Phil Harrison has a uh, statement as well, um, who is still going to be leading Stadia. He says that they see an important opportunity to work with partners seeking a gaming solution all built on Stadia's advanced technical infrastructure and platform tools. We believe this is the best path to building Stadia into a long-term, sustainable business that helps grow the industry. Look at my surprised face. It's (laughs) right here. I'm so surprised.
1: I am... I am honestly surprised it came this quickly. Before Mm -hmm. they even, like, they didn't even announce a game. They were probably years from release. Like, I I imagine they would have at least given it the old college try. But they didn't, Yeah. nothing. They were just like, hey, we tried this for a year, and it fucking sucked. So, (laughs) yeah. uh, So, yeah, I'm not surprised it happened. I am surprised it happened so quickly. I guess what they're realizing is, like, Mm -hmm. the technology is there. And um, people, I guess like a fraction of a person at a time wants to use this service. So let's not create games and let's instead make an inferior platform for people to play these third party games on. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just another it's just another hit for Stadia. It's like this Google Stadia already is is trailing in terms of support because not not just from like player base and things like that and playing destiny online and trying to find people to play with or against is is pulling teeth sometimes but it's also support from publishers like we see so many times that a console and a pc patch will come out and then three months later it'll finally make its way to stadia or a game will come out Mm -hmm. and it won't be coming to stadia for another several months if at all uh so maybe this is them just investing that that energy into making that more on par with everything else i hope it does because honestly like I, google's fucking up a lot of things with stadia but i do want them to succeed like i think this tech is really cool when it works but and i want them to succeed but it's i don't know i hope i hope this is the right choice for them it's making their platform less alluring not having something exclusive to it but Mm
0: -hmm. who knows yeah, I think that for me, that's the biggest issue. Is that it makes their platform less alluring. where do I start with this? So, as we all know, the grind isn't happening. In sports. <laughs> like, I'm not doing. I'm not doing the remaining episodes. I just don't like talking to a camera by myself. It's just so weird to me. I, I hate it. Um and there were still a few things that I kind of wanted to to say, like about it. Um, we'll find a way to do that at some point in the future. But one of the things was. Stadia is the only game streaming service right now that is only a game streaming service and relies only on the cloud. Xbox is the consoles. They can't make games that are cloud only because they have to have them work on PC and Xbox as well. Whereas Stadia like had this opportunity to do something unique. And that was kind of my whole like don't don't just bail on them yet because when they release that cloud only game it could be something really mind blowing and something really unique that could never be done anywhere else and you have to go to stadia to play it they literally can't port it to uh, another console it's just not possible and i feel like that's gone now now they're just other consoles on the cloud and it just it doesn't have it's it's not even if this means they're not going away, it means they have a long-term plan, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's possible that in, like, 15 years, 20 years, cloud gaming is the dominant way that people play games because the infrastructure has gotten good enough and Internet speeds are fast enough where, like, just the lag and all that is just not a problem. And there'll still be consoles, just like we have PCs right now, even though... um, it's just the pcs are like right now pcs are if you want the best possible experience you get a you get a PC if you want the kind of ease of use and just get into it and play you get a console and I, I feel like cloud gaming could be that if you just want to get into something really quickly you can get the cl- uh, cloud service and you're good and I feel like in 15 years that's viable I think that might be possible but they need to put the work in now to start building a game library that people will want to choose stadia in 15 years. And I feel like they're just dropping the ball on that now. It's like by the time it gets to 15 years, and you're just starting to think, oh, maybe we will make first party games. I feel like it's just kind of too late at that point because Microsoft's going to be in the cloud in the same way. And they have the library. They have the library right now. So I just feel like. Microsoft clearly has the long-term vision. That's why they'll put $7.5 billion into buying Bethesda, because in 15 years, that's going to matter. Right. It's going to matter a, a lot. And I just feel like Stadia doesn't get that. It kind of irks me. I to, Something I
1: just realized kind of in the midst of this conversation is that like this doesn't mean that they can't pay other developers to make Stadia-exclusive games that take advantage of the cloud. Um. Yeah. This just means that they themselves are not putting energy into developing it within their within mm-hmm. Google. Uh, it's, it's yeah. So like they could totally do a, a second party type thing where like Sony did with Ready at Dawn, like a 1986 kind of or the Blue Point. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So they could pay somebody else to yeah. make stuff work exclusively on their platform.
0: I don't know who would want to do that right now, though. What they have plenty of yeah. money to entice people. The Penelope Two Entice people, um, I feel like the benefit of owning the games because it was made by you. It's like Netflix. They could have paid other studios to to make um, movies for them but they decided to make all their movies in-house and the reason for that is there's never going to have to be a contractual obligation that in 10 years that game can then go to other studios or something right. or another platform or something like that like they will always own that forever and i think that's why microsoft is buying up studios left and right because they want to make sure that well Bethesda's different story we'll see what happens with Beth- with Beth- uh, with Bethesda but in all other instances like they will always have those games on Xbox forever because it is theirs end think of story period
1: Like when Mass Effect launched on Mm -hmm. Xbox as an exclusive, published by Microsoft, never coming anywhere else. And then just because of those types of agreements, oh, we've got all of it on PlayStation. Bioshock was the same way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, In the case of, um, what was it? I guess there's still ways around that, like Dark Demon Souls, and then Dark Souls comes out. Yeah. It's like it's not Demon Souls, like. But yeah, absolutely. Like those partnerships can be lost because money. To, to half quote Jurassic Park, money will find a way. <laughs> 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 um. So yeah the the other thing, and this is something that I was gonna call out in I think it was gonna be the third episode me the third episode of, of the grind was kind of the future of stadia and I was I wanted to talk about like the myth of them dropping everything um, I feel like it's not as true as people want to lead on that oh Google just drops all these services and here they are doing a stadia again I'm not surprised that they are reducing their footprint on it but I get let me expound so um, there's the Google Wave, for example, right? They're like, oh, Google Wave was a service where you could type with your friends into messaging and actually see what they're typing in real time. And then, oh, they dropped it just like they drop everything else. But here's the thing. They'll drop the marketing behind it. They'll drop the brand. They'll say, hey, Google Wave, it's gone. But that technology still exists. That technology is now in Google Docs. And you can do that live chat, like um, writing on a document with your friends, because that technology made sense in that context. So I kind of anticipated that at some point they were going, if this wasn't successful, they might find a way to change in direction. I had assumed that like maybe it was going to be something on the lines of they're going to start making, you know, technology for game engines to be more cloud based. And so that. Things have to like run through Google servers at that point, but it's still made in Unreal. But Unreal has attributes of their engine that are related to cloud. Um, like I think NVIDIA is doing you know some similar stuff to that. I kind of figured they might go in that direction if they were going to drop it, but this just seems like the weird like, mm, do I want to put my foot in the in the pool? I don't know. Is it kind of cold in the water over there? And it's just <laughs> I don't know. Like I feel like this was the wrong. I feel like this is the wrong choice. But I also don't run billion dollar companies and have the foresight of what a billion dollar company is going to do based on the inner workings of their executive team. So maybe they know something that I don't. That's uh, very, very likely possible. (laughs) So we'll see what happens. Um, Amazon, however, is playing a long game, it sounds like. So the next CEO believes Amazon can succeed in games, quote, if we hang in there. James Batchelor at gamesindustry.biz. So Jeff Bezos obviously is the founder of Amazon, but recently he's stepping down as CEO, um, Andy Jassy is the previous um, head of cloud computing at Amazon, and he's now taking over as CEO. So he was um, talking in an interview, and he s- it basically acknowledged that Amazon Game Studios has had some failures recently. So they had um, the game Breakaway, which is being abandoned after their beta testing. They just completely abandoned the game after beta, beta testing. Right. I think they even like released it and then unreleased they it. They did, yep. Yeah. Um, Crucible then being delayed into spring of this year. And also they just lose um, $500 million a year on Amazon Game Studios. But Jassy believes their game business model will succeed, quote, if we hang in there, this team will get there if we stay focused on what matters most. So they are kind of like investing in that and making sure the studio is good. And they're also working on Luna at the same time. And it seems like they're putting a lot of thought into this, that they're putting the head of the cloud um, computing division... As the head of the company now. Yeah. So this is be important to them.
1: Yeah, they're they're investing in a little bit more of like the the trickle long game. Like we're doing a little bit now, we're investing, we're gonna build up a little bit over the years. After we've got some experience making games, we'll release Luna. All right, Luna's here, and we're just kind of testing the waters a yeah. little bit. So they're definitely doing the the slow game there, the tortoise in the hair story. Yeah. Um I think it's still like I don't know for such a for such a big company with such reach and such such like command of resources to have only those two games to speak for after several mm-hmm. years you know breakaway you know going the way of the dodo and then Crucible getting delayed is like that's really all you're working on.
0: That's yeah, and that losing five hundred million a year on it. <laughs> and losing that much money on it, yeah. Yeah. Most game, I think, like Cyberpunk's game budget was. 236 million dollars or something like i don't know why i said that number specifically but it's like 230 ish million dollars um it's in that range and that was over the course of several years for that one game so they're losing 500 million a year they're working on more than just those two games but they're not talking like maybe they're like learning harsh lessons and like okay the the other games we're working on don't don't mention it (laughs) yet don't (laughs) don't talk about yet we need to go back and really rework this um but I yeah, feel like there are talented people they could bring though. in who could just like help fast track a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean I I feel like all their games have been very, very cloud based, like they're an MMO or something like that. Yeah. Um I think. I don't know what Crucible is, but break or breakaway is supposed to be this like big MMO. Um so yeah, it's just it's it's interesting that they're losing that much money on it. But they're playing that long game for it. And I know we're doing our decade predictions in um in a few weeks, but this is even this is even beyond the scope of that. Going into that whole like fifteen year time frame, I think it's totally possible that Amazon, Microsoft are, and maybe Google. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but we'll roll with it for a second. Amazon, Google, and Microsoft are going to be the heads of the gaming industry. Like they're, those are the big three because they are running the cloud gaming infrastructure, and then companies like Sony and Nintendo are really just either like they are in their niche of making hardware and they still have their exclusive game for that hardware um, because people still want consoles or they are making games now as publishers for these, these big three. I think it's totally possible because the best gaming the infrastructure is going to be so important with input lag and just how well it works that the company who makes the servers is is going to prioritize themselves. And they're also going to have the best understanding of the, te- of the technology and how to use it. I mean, PlayStation, so Sony is working with Microsoft with their servers, and they're kind of going back and forth with that. But PlayStation is always going to be secondary. They're always going to be secondary. And Nintendo might not ever connect to a server ever so <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen with that one um but yeah so i feel like they're putting in that long game because that's going to be so fucking lucrative for them if amazon is number one in gaming in 15 years i know that sounds crazy right now but i really don't think that in 15 years it it could be that absurd if you had said in the early 90s oh and microsoft's going to be a dominant player in the gaming space you'd be like fuck no microsoft windows office or um microsoft office is not going to be like (laughs) that company's not going to be making games that's ridiculous um but it could happen we don't know they're certainly investing in it those were the streaming wars there's also some Space Wars to talk about here. And that's space, Mass space, Effect space, Legendary space. Edition gameplay trailer revealed it's coming this May. says Leanna Rupert at Game Informer, May 14th, 2020, uh, 2021. Not that far away. Pretty May soon. the 14th soon. be with you. <laughs> 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 All the games are going to be remastered for 4K with improved models, lighting, shaders, effects, and other stuff. Um, there will also be gameplay and quality of life differences, which is more... That I think many were expecting.
1: It is. I was actually so I was reading up on some of this and I was excited to see that like they are balancing the weapons so that it feels consistent as you play through one, two, and three. They are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the elevators, the infamous elevators in those games, are now going to be <laughs> like you can ride the elevator, but there's a skip button after it loads in. Um, so yeah, the the fact that they're they are balancing all of these systems and making them feel like one cohesive series, I think that's what I was. I was most looking forward or what I was most bummed that wasn't coming that it seems like it might be
0: coming yeah absolutely and I it's funny because I got my Xbox one I just bought all of them for the Xbox 360 versions it it was like Mm -hmm. six bucks a piece it wasn't it was only only wasted $12 Um, so I don't feel too burnt on it Um, but like I'm way more looking forward to playing these games now that's gonna be a much more cohesive experience across all three of them, because Mass Effect One in particular. Like, I love Mass Effect One, but the common thing is, yeah, but the gameplay kind of sucks. I'm like, ah, fuck you, yeah, you're right, it does, <laughs> but it's a good game. Um, so it's nice that it's going to have that consistency across the board. I'm curious what your takeaway is in some of these video comparisons. Um. And the kind of screenshot comparisons that, that we've been seeing of. I've Legendary seen a couple edition, of like D- sliders where you like slide and see
1: the original and slide over and you see the new one. I've seen a couple of those and it looks good. Like I'm I'm impressed. It's not just a. They didn't take the Nintendo way and just make it 4K upresed. Like they actually swapped out new character models mm-hmm. and lighting and all that kind of stuff, and it looks like a good port. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I there are a few like things where the sky looked different and like in like there's one sh- screenshot where they show like a reaper and in the 360 version it's got this like ominous like evil looking red sky behind it and then in the new version it's it's a dark sky but it doesn't have the like same kind of there's something in the art direction that changed a little bit so like at first it kind of it's like it looks a little different but then i started taking a closer look and i'm like but those textures look like do look so much better those yeah. character models do look so much better the water effects look so much better so i feel like overall it's definitely an, an, an improvement and i feel like i don't remember the first you know, first two games well enough that it's gonna bother me when i'm playing no. it. but i did have this a little quick like <gasps> And I'm like, no, it's fine. It's going to be really good. It's if be the good. elusive man's cigarette you. smoke is not like broken polygons, I'll be impressed. <laughs> that would be a room that like it's so dark and ominous in that room and like mysterious that if that if the aesthetic of that room changed too much, I think I would be a little bummed because yeah. that's probably one of my probably of the most memorable locations in a game for me is the elusive man with the huge planet behind him and everything. It's just so cool. It's good stuff. All right. We're going to move on to our fetch quests. Not a whole lot of them this week, but they're they're important. They're important stuff still. Rockstar Game Studios had computers stolen. <gasps> Dennis Patrick at Game Ranks. $66,000 worth of equipment was stolen from Rockstar on Christmas Eve. It doesn't appear anything was leaked in the aftermath, but there wasn't an obvious motivation for the robbery. I feel like if the, if she stole um, $66,000 in... Computers, it wasn't to like leak information. She would have just gone to a computer, taken information off the computer, then ran. Um, I f- feel like it was probably first just a of robbery. all.
1: Do we know it was a she? Second of all, if we don't, props to yeah, you for assuming that the criminal was a she. Very good. <laughs> we do know it was a she. Number yeah. three, we know that she just took that $66,000 worth of equipment, sold it, bought a bunch of game stock shares back in, <laughs> in
0: <laughs> December. And this is Christmas Eve, so she made bank yeah she made a she lot made of money bank <laughs> Quantic dream is opening a montreal studio says brendan sinclair at game the new studio will support development of the main paris studio but stefan is it Daustus? i don't know yes the new head of montreal um head of the new montreal studio said the second studio will not cut the de- um, development phase in two for the next project because it's incredibly ambitious That's exciting yeah i'm i'm excited i always
1: love their games and i still think that all of you should play freaking detroit become human you idiots i need to if three years from now we're gonna be doing a barf and it's gonna be the same exact discussion as control we're
0: like oh i wish i didn't wait so long i'm like yeah you idiots (laughs) idiots. we might be waiting a long time for overwatch and diablo 4 because they won't be releasing until 2021 activision blizzard says Also, Nicole Carpenter from Polygon's one who reported that because you've got to give credit where credit is due. Glad none um, of us picked that for Gearbox. our draft. Yeah, yeah. Gearbox has been bought, says Luke Plunkett at Kotaku. They were they were bought by Embracer Group, who also owns THQ Nordic and Oh Coke Media, not uh, Cock Media, because <laughs> it has the K at the end, not the C. I don't know why that got typed in there. Uh, the goal is to expand Gearbox. New studios and new brands are hopefully t- going to be the result of this.
1: That's a big – but like That's what they say. We've been laughing for years at Embracer Group. Previously, THQ Nordic, also who owns THQ Nordic, the same name. Um, we've been laughing for years. Like, what are they buying all of these A properties for? And they have, like, hundreds of them in development at any given time. And like, what are they fucking doing with all this shit? And now they bought Gearbox. I'm like, oh, shit. They have a big player there with Gearbox
0: with Borderlands. Uh, who knows what's coming with them? We'll see what happens. Netflix officially announces Sonic Prime, a new 3D animated series. Says Ryan Craddock at Nintendo Life. The series will launch in 2022 with 24 episodes. I guess Are you I'm in for that, Chad. I
1: like the Sonic. I I was a big fan of the Sonic cartoons growing up. Chili dogs, excuse me, like Jaleel White, <laughs> fucking loved that shit. Robotnik, his bird and his little tank robot minion. Uh, yeah, big fan of those, big fan of Sonic X. Sonic, 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 Sonic X. Um, and then there was the other cartoon where he was like living with the village people. Not <laughs> not the YMCA village people, but the people out in the woods. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I'll like watch four minutes of this
0: when it comes out. Cool. I probably won't, but I'm glad probably it's won't. out there for other people. <laughs> Hurts. don't Chad, what, what do we have next on this? We've What's got next? Game
1: On Game Show. The Game On Our Game Show. We play a game called Game On. The Game On Our Game Show. Game, 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 game. Holden, we have another new game. We talked a lot about Game Stonk today, also known as GameSpot, also known as Stocks for GameStop. And what I wanted to do is play a game, kind of tying all of that in. And it's a game about money and GameStop. It's called whatever I make up right now. Uh, GME. I think it. Notices- GME Blackjack. GME Blackjack is what we're playing. Okay. Okay. So the the object of the game, we might play three rounds, depending on how long the first round takes. Like best two out of three. The object of the game is you get to pick four games, any four games mm-hmm. ever released. I will then look up the trade-in values. I'm also picking four games. I will look up the trade-in values, and we are trying to get closest to $21 in value without going over. So we have to pick four games that might add up to 21 or less. That's our goal. And you have to pick four games this every time. This is hilarious. We are using the trade-in credit value, not the cash value, so that's important to note as well. This is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. Today. So, uh, so hold on. This will be round one, maybe the only round we do tonight, depending on how long it takes. But uh, I've got the trade and credit thing ready to
0: go. What kind of games are you thinking you might want to include in your trade and so, value? Just, are we going to play this like real blackjack though, where like we start off with two, and then we see the value of those no. cards? No, we are playing no, this okay. like
1: you guess four games, and then we add up the value because that's all I prepared ahead of time. Okay. All right. Prey, Prey, the 2016 game.
0: Yeah, the most recent one. Yeah. Okay.
1: I also need you to designate a platform
0: because it might have different value
1: Xbox on Xbox One. Xbox One. Okay. My first game I'm going to put down will be. Um. I'm going to put out the the Order 1886. Ooh. All right, what is your second game? We'll, we'll find out all the prices
0: afterwards. <laughs> Pokemon HeartGold. No, I'm totally kidding. That's like $50 straight. Yeah. <laughs> or something ridiculous like that. Um, Mirror's Edge on Xbox 360.
1: Mirror's Edge 360. Okay. I'm going to put in Spider-Man PS4.
0: I have Prey and Mirror's Edge. Um, oh, wait. Why would I do 360? Because, can't you just a Catalyst? Because they don't do trade-ins for 360 games anymore.
1: Yeah, they do. They do all sorts of retro ones because they sell them online on the retro
0: thing now. Oh, okay. All right, I'll keep Mirror's Edge then. Um, to what extent if do you retro If I get games? To so Mirror's like- Edge 360
1: and it doesn't have a value, uh, then I will let you change it to Mirror's Edge Catalyst.
0: Okay, okay. Halo 4. I have a suspicion it's actually not going to be worth that much.
1: Okay, okay. Thinking about trade-in values. Spider-Man PS4, go like you can buy it new for 20 bucks. So I'm guessing it's not going to put me too far up there.
0: Mm-hmm. Order
1: 1886 is going to be a, a dollar or two. I'm going to go with uh, Madden NFL 2018 on Xbox.
0: Bloodborne's also a $20 game. It's Wait, also what's a also a $20 game? Bloodborne? Bloodborne is a $20 game. Yeah.
1: Bloodborne. It's Bloodborne. All right. So my final game will be... I want to keep it low because if you go over 21 you lose um my final game will be i want to pick something like completely fantasy star no because there are too many different permeate permutations of that um final fantasy 14 uh, Realm Reborn on PS4. I hope that had a box copy. If it doesn't, then I have to pick a new game. Um, my backup... So I will, I'm i going to have a backup just in case. So that way I don't know the value of everything ahead of time. If that doesn't have a boxed copy, then I'm picking... Um, I'm picking Cooking Mama on Nintendo, DS, Nintendo 3DS. <laughs> All right, Holden. Let's do yours first. So you had Prey... 2016 on Xbox One. All right. Trade-in value for that game is store credit $3.30. Really? Yes. All right. All right. Next, we are looking for Mirror's Edge. And this was specifically the 360 version. Ooh. We've run into a hiccup. They are only offering trade-in value for the PS4 version. Would you like to use... For for the PS4 version of Catalyst. Do you want to change your guess to Catalyst, or would you like to pick a different game?
0: Nope, I'll do Catalyst. That's what I said before.
1: Mirror's Edge Catalyst on PS4. Trade-in of $2.20. All right. Halo They lowball four. more than I thought they would. Holy shit. <laughs> That's right, because if I go over Damn. then I bust, and you win anyway. All right, Halo 4. I'm sorry. Uh, Let me just type in Halo. They do not offer trade-in value for Halo 4. Really? Yes. Is there any Halo game available? Uh, You have Halo the Master Chief Collection for Xbox One, Halo Reach for 360, Halo 5 Guardians for Xbox One.
0: Let's do the Master Chief Collection. Master Chief Collection.
1: All right. That is a credit of $13.20. All Boom. right. So, Holden, so far your total is
0: $18.70, which means Bloodborne has to I'm be, real cheap. Gonna be I think if if uh, the other games were just, if what was it, $3 for Prey? I think this is going to be cheap, too, because it's, it's a $20 game. The <laughs> use is less than that.
1: Holden, Bloodborne goes for $6.60, bringing your total what? to twenty-five thirty. dollars 30 especially. <laughs> 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 All right, let's check me. Let's check me. That's Maybe surprising. we should do this one at a time, like back and forth for each one of us to build the suspense. The Order 1886. Let's see. It is available for $2.20. All right, so that matches your mirror's edge. Then I had Spider-Man PS4. Spider-Man, oops, I searched just to buy it, you fucking idiot. <laughs> all right, Spider-Man PS4 goes for $11. Woof. Okay. That's all right. The other two I meant I, I picked were We're small on purpose. As long as I don't go over 21, we're good. I'm at 1320 so far. (laughs) Madden NFL. Oh, this might be something that they don't take anymore. If it's NFL 20. Oh, I spelled N-A-L. I'm just going to type Madden 2018. No results. What about just Madden? They take 20. This is weird. They take 21, 20, 17, 16 but not 18 all right i'm going with 17 on xbox 360 fuck guess how much madden nfl 20 or 2017 goes for for xbox 360 17 dollars <laughs> 10 dollars 45 oh uh, i bust, definitely busted over yeah so damn madden keeps its value so my final one, let's see Final Fantasy 14. I'm definitely over Realm Reborn. Um They don't have Oh no, there's load more. Get out of here. Final Fantasy 14. Nothing. Nothing. What was my backup game? I already forgot it.
0: The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. It's going to be cheap. It's going to no, be really cheap. No, you Are you lying? It doesn't matter. I already lost.
1: Um, dope. That's a that's a fun, interesting game. we got to figure out a way to make yeah. it a little bit faster. But... I think the going I think back all we'll play and tonight. forth
0: would also be good, too. I like that idea.
1: Okay, you're right. We'll do one more game since we both lost. Okay, one more round. Holden, what are your four games?
0: We'll go back and forth one, uh, on this one, too. Um... I'm going to say, okay, so I, I kind of have a better idea of the, the range here. So I'm going to say Dark Souls 3. I'm going to pick Dark Souls 3. Dark Souls 3. Yeah. On which platform? Xbox, PS4. We'll go PS4. PS4.
1: Okay. Dark Souls 3 and PS4. Yeah. I'm going with um, Uncharted, the Legacy Collection. Obviously on PS4. All right, what's your next one?
0: (laughs) Dragon Ball Z, Tenkai, Budokai, whatever the name of that game is.
1: Dragon Ball Z, Budokai, Dragon Ball Z, Budokai, Tenkaiichi 3, right? Budokai
0: Tenkaichi. Yeah, that one,
1: yeah. Uh, On which platform? PS4. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi 3 came out on the Wii generation of consoles. Oh, did it? Okay, it did. It did. Well, then let's do the Wii. All right, Dragon Ball Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi 3 um, on the Wii. <laughs> Mine will be. Here's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do just a bunch of little ones. So next up for me will be. Ooh, no. Ratchet and Clank. PS4.
0: Ratchet and Clank. Okay.
1: All right. What's your third one?
0: This is really tough because uh, this is really tough. Um Let's go with Super Bomberman R. Ooh,
1: Super Bomberman R on Nintendo Switch. Yep. All right, mine will be Anthem on PS4. <laughs> Alright, your final this guess. Is the last one? Yep.
0: It's gotta be a small one. I'm actually nervous. I think I'm way over already. <laughs> I had this like sinking feeling that I'm like already way, way over. Um, Mad World on the Wii.
1: Whoa. Mad World on the Wii. Okay, I am, for my final one, it's putting down... It's a deep down. cut right there. It's
0: a real deep cut that is that is pun intended by the way because that game is about killing people with a giant chainsaw for some deep cuts pun totally intended very good it It wasn't intended I just realized after the fact
1: I'm going to go with I want something on like a DS oh you got to be careful with that though Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze DS Tropical no, Freeze DS. Donkey Kong DS. Country Returns 3D. Yeah. That's what I wanted. Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D. Okay. One at a time, back and forth, starting with me this time. Uncharted Legacy Collection on PS4. Oh, maybe it's not called that. Maybe it's just called Uncharted Collection? Yes, Uncharted, the Nathan Drake Collection. That fetches $6.60. All right, holding Dark Souls 3. Your first one.
0: Uh, this could be way too much. Souls. Souls I feel like this is a bad three. pick.
1: And we're going for the PS4 version, not the Fire Fades edition, just the regular edition. Nets yep. you $4.40. Oh, I thought
0: it would be way more than that. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'm in this. I'm in all this. All right.
1: My number 2 pick, Ratchet and Clank for ps4 this one eight dollars and 80 cents oh ho, 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 ho. that brings me to fifteen dollars more 40. than I me too so i'm at fifteen forty I mean, right second now. game too yeah but my next one's anthem all right your second game dragon ball z budokai Tenkaichi 3 for wii <laughs> it is available for seven dollars and 70 cents Oof! What does that bring me to? Yep, you are at twelve ten, so you're still three dollars and thirty cents under me.
0: Okay, okay.
1: All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Anthem, PS4. You remember that game? Not available for trade in. Fuck. F. What do I do? What do I do?
0: Should there be a rule you have to pick within the same developer or the same franchise or something?
1: okay 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 um bioware or ea can i just pick another ea game because those are all trash yeah, you, just pick another <laughs> <EA game.
0: laughs> you should pick a madden game
1: <laughs> what if i do can i do mass effect one on 360 yeah
0: why not You should do Mass Effect the Legendary Edition.
1: I can only do Mass <laughs> Effect trilogy trade in. So I'm I'll do the trilogy on 360. Oh eleven dollars. Oh. That that puts me over at 2640. Alright. That's no fair. I should have gotten zero dollars for Anthem. Alright. Super Bomberman <laughs> R.
0: Oh, this one's gonna kill me, I think.
1: Here we go. Super Bomberman R goes for $11 as well. You also busted at twenty dollars <laughs> Let's do our final games just in case. All right. Donkey Kong returns 3D. $6.60. And Holden, your final one. So that puts me at a final cost of $33. And you're looking for Mad World. Good luck. All that comes up is World War Z. (laughs) Let's
0: go with that then. PS4 or Xbox One? Uh, PS4.
1: That is seven dollars and seventy cents. But you still win because you have thirty dollars and eighty cents. I have thirty three. Actually, we both fucking lose. Uh, Um, dope. That's an interesting one. House one. House one. House rules. GameStop won. That's who really won these past two weeks. Is GameStop. Mm-hmm. That's it for Game on Game Show, and that is it for our podcast episode 198. We have a few things to remind you of. One, you see all these beautiful pictures in the background? They're taken by a man named Dallas Smith at Games on Twitter. You should go follow him. He posts screenshots. He's wonderful. If there were any other man in the world that I would marry, it wouldn't be him. It would be my best friend, Kanan Cox, but I would be very jealous of whoever did marry him. So... Uh, Go follow Dallas. Second, remember we are playing Majora's Mask on our BARF, Backlog Accomplishment with Respawn and Friends, so play that for the month of February. End of the month, we'll be talking about it. When you play Control, finally, with it free on PS Plus and on Game Pass, go back and listen to our podcast that we recorded last week with Dane and Jerrica about that game. It is super dope. And then again, you have some responsibilities. You have to go vote for what we're playing next month. Uh, for BARF, that'll be opening up here in the next week or so on patreon.com slash respawningfire. You have to let us know what you think is coming in the next 10 years of gaming because we're having that discussion in two weeks, and then we also have another secret coming in two weeks. Ooh, spooky. That's it for now. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Until next week, here's our usual sign-off. Ghosts are sexy
2: sometimes.